and he gets stabbed right up the backside, right up the hole with a diver's knife. Must have been about that big. Right up. Oof. Do you know what I mean? The first time I used a knife was I was 17. I was hit three times with my... I mean, quite I got 196 stitches on my scalp here. Can we see that? Three times. Got me there and got me in the shoulder here. I would take an axe to school with me. And then... Um, but you had to. Were all the other children taking axes? Axes, machetes, um, bayonets, whatever you could find in your your mum's drawer, or like hammers or kitchen knives. I think my life must have flashed before my eyes about a dozen times before I was 18. Coming back from school one day, we got chased along like these, this embankment and, uh, and he got stabbed through the back and it pierced his heart. And he died, he died there in front of us. So he's saying, listen mate, I'm a killer and all that. I said, right, fair enough mate, where are you? And I'll come round. So I went round, anyway, we went to this flat in Plymouth. And sure enough, the guy was a killer. And he ended up killing the guy who tried to um, rip him off. How? He killed, stabbed him in the neck. And um, obviously I confronted him. I said, what are you doing telling these? I've, I've taken their stuff when, when I hadn't. So they had a fight. Obviously, the guy who got killed had got the upper hand. So the guy then did kill him. He's grabbed a knife at the kitchen drawer, stabbed him in the neck and killed him right in front of me. Right so, in front of you? Yeah. I don't uh, condone what I've what done to him and I don't justify it in any way, shape or form. And to me, it's learned behaviour. That's how I learned to resolve matters growing up in Scotland by becoming desensitised toward violence and like knife crime the, but as soon as I become outnumbered I reach I used to reach in the kitchen drawer and that's what <coughs> happened that day which resulted in him being stabbed in the eye and everything else horrific injuries punctured lung and like do you know what I mean I took all the bad things that was going on in my life out in that guy but with the IPP, I never really knew much about. I was like one of the pioneer cases in that sense. Yeah. Getting a two and a half year IPP and having to spend 16 and a half year because nobody knew what on earth they were doing. So it's an indeterminate sentence. Mm. There's, there's no justification in the world to excuse what I've done, mate. And that's what I'm trying to show people. It's, it ain't worth it. Look what I've lost. And that's what you need to realise. It's like, I'm just lucky I haven't killed anybody personally, John. I'm lucky, mate. All right, so today we've got Derek, raised in Glasgow, ended up serving 16 years. 16 and a half. 16 and a half years on an IPP sentence. And he's not been out for very long. We're helping him structure his book right now, so we're hoping he's going to get his book out at some point. Um, but not only is it, is it going to be a hard-hitting and gripping life story, we've also got the important social message of all these guys stuck in the IPP sentencing. It's, you know, it got abolished, but it's like a, a limbo form where they've got this big sentence permanently over the head. Many of you watch Pepsi Watson, one of our very first podcast guests, he got recalled on the slightest little thing. He went on the run and now he's back in. He's been back in for a couple of years. It's really sad. He talks about all the self-harm amongst the IPP guys. So it's got this 
message to raise awareness about IPP, and there are some petitions going around as well to to get this resolved. Give these guys sentences. Just let them know when they're getting out. It's it's ridiculous to to think you can just go back at any time and have this uncertainty hanging over your head because the uncertainty is the worst part. Even as a on a, a on remand for twenty six months for me, that that was doing my head in not knowing what was going to well, happen next. Yeah, that's the worst part, mate. Definitely. So huge thank you for coming on, then, Derek. Yes, thank you. Which part of Glasgow did you grow up in? I grew up in Balanock, which is in the East End, part of the Easter House Estate. Yeah. Which is um, quite a big estate in the East End of Glasgow. But you, 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 one of your parents was from the Gerbils, was My it? mother came for the Gerbils, my dad came for Partick, which is in the West End, and they met whilst on the buses. My dad was a bus driver and my mother was a conductress. So that was very romantic. <laughs> we met on the bus. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, uh, so, uh, right, my dad was a. Uh, Ex army, as I said, the American and British army. All right, all right, he's a war veteran as well. well. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, hard working, hard, not really hard drinking, more hard working. My mum would probably been the hard drinking, <laughs> and she was probably the most um, stronger of two. Although my dad was tough and like physically tough, my mother was like something to be behold. If you know what I mean, she like had a presence about her. And she grew up in the area where I grew Well, after the Gorbals was knocked down, the overspill went into places like Easter House, uh, Gaffarmock, Carntine, and like all these new estates, which took their troubles from the Gorbals and just scattered them a bit further. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But never actually managed... They got rid of like, the, the deprivation and like of the actual Gorbals and the tenements, but brought up new... No um, issues, like social issues, um, further afield, like places like Easter House, Drum Chapel, and, and places like that. Do you know what I mean? Which estates did train spotting portray? And was that accurate? That was train spotting was Edinburgh. Oh, it was Edinburgh. And the, the, the heroin epidemic wiped out a full generation of young people in the 80s, and it all came from Glasgow anyway. It all came from organised crime in Glasgow, and like the, the players in Glasgow, like. We could name a few, and they wiped out a full generation of um, young young men and women in Edinburgh. Do you know what I mean? And like it was the age capital of Europe, uh, all through the eighties, the nineties. Even seen um, that in the news in the eighties. Glenoakle Prison had its own strain of HIV called the Glenoakle strain. Wow. Named after the prison, so like eighty odd people caught it in the eighties, and then they've went and passed it on to like so many and it's called the actual Glen Oco strain named after the prison it's in the medical books yeah, so because I think Liverpool was number two wasn't it for um, heroin users yeah. in the 80s and Glasgow was number one wasn't but it? Edinburgh was uh, the age capital of Europe for like intravenous you don't see like, a lot of um, smoking of heroin and it all more or less come from prison and all the areas where like social deprivation mass unemployment and um, social ills, if you will. Do you know what I mean? More or less wiped out a full generation. Of people. We've had a lot of guests from Glasgow have talked about, like, as a kid, yeah. these b- massive battles with knives. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Did, did, did you, was that something that you encountered? Yeah, yeah, well, I was, I was introduced to it at a very early age, um, for the age of 15, where I started carrying a knife um, 
the first time I used a knife was I was 17. I was hit three times with my, I meet Quiva, I got 196 stitches on my scalp here. Can we see that? Three times, got me there and got me in the shoulder here. And, um, and ever since then, I really, do you know what I mean? That's when I first ever used a knife and I went to prison for um, for carrying knives. It was, it, Glasgow is a big uh, culture from stemming from the Razor Gangs for like the 1930s, the Billy Boys and people like that. You see in Peaky Blinders. Yes. Well, my granddad was actually a member of that Razor that, Gang, that gang. And, my mother, and my mother was a member of the She Bar L, which was a, a female Razor Gang and she, they would carry the knives into the nightclubs for the men. And use them themselves on other women and things like that. So what was like, the male gang called on Piggy Blinders? Billy Boys. Billy Boys. Yeah, like Billy Fulton was like their main man. He's like, but they were Protestant. They were um, sectarian. There was a sectarian razor gang, which um, was like prod Protestant. Um, and actually, it's one chapter of Ku Klux Klan in Glasgow as well. So they like they were like bigoted sectarian. Like staunch Presbyterian, like really, really religious. We Glasgow, like you know, is somewhat like Belfast, whereas you get Catholic is like Celtic, Rangers is like Protestant, and like, and it's instilled in you feel like an early age. So like we were brought raised Protestant, and like when we went to school, I would take like, an axe to school with me, and um, but you had to. Were all the other children taking axes? Axes, machetes, um, bayonets, whatever you could find in your ki- your mum's drawer, like hammers or kitchen knives. It was like, if you went down, you'd, the golden rule was you never went down. If you go down, there's a good chance that you're not going to get back up. But I remember me and my mate in the job centre on Park Edward just started signing on. I was doing YTS at the time. And we got chased with these lads and I don't remember, know if you remember the old open back buses like the London bus but in Glasgow it was called the 5A bus it took you to Easter House and I managed to go on just before my mate and he gets stabbed right up the backside right up the hole with a diver's knife must have been about that big right up Oof. do you know what I mean and all, he was, all, all it was we, we came from across the road this was where these guys came from that was the only reason it was why just this postcode was It'd been going on since the 1950s when my dad was a kid. They'd go to roller skating with the razors and that, and like the razor gangs, and like it's just, I don't know if it's like an old clan thing for like centuries ago or Brave the, sk- the skin do, like the old sock, then the, the knife sock where you wear with your kilt. It's called a skin do. And I don't know if it's like from the days of the clans and it's just kind of filtered through and like well, a lot of it revolved around Catholic versus Protestant Catholics versus Protestants um, mostly religious I would say aye. so that they live in that's the same the early, neighbourhood they lived like in cl- close neighbourhoods proximity. close yeah. proximity well, Celtic Park is in a Protestant area funnily enough but it never used to be and Rangers vice versa but because of the shipyards closing and whatever else it's like slowly changed so where Rangers is is like a Catholic area now, where it was predominantly Protestant, like in the seventies and eighties and that. But now it's the complete opposite. So just to put this into context, then, what year were you taking an axe to school? Um, I'd say about nineteen eighty nine, ninety. And did you have to use the axe at school? No, I'd have to pull it out. I've never actually used it, and like I don't think I never ever wanted to use it. 
it was always something that I would take just to guarantee that maybe I could fend them off for a couple of the vital seconds to help me make my way and get away from the deterrence. Yeah. But did, did you see any violence at oh, all? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, loads, loads, loads of violence. Like, um, seen my mates stabbed to death, um, kicked to death. Could you, could you slow down and, and tell us the circumstances that got your mate stabbed to death? Well, um, it, it was a centre punch, the centre punch that you'd use at, like, woodwork to put the nails in. Like, the... Uh, Coming back from school one day, we got chased along like these this embankment, and uh, and he gets stabbed through the back, and it pierced his heart. The, the actual centre punch, and he died. He died there uh, in front of us. But there was um, there was an adult. I can I can I can vaguely remember the adult trying to do something for him. He's like the lady lived across the road, and um, by the time the ambulance came, he was like it was too late for him. He was he was already dead. Who was chasing you guys? Just the same again. It'd be same. like the rival schools, like where we went to school in Bayless and Bannerman High School, that would have been St Ambrose or when St Andrews against Cran Hall, like we would go and use our swimming pool and just as we were going back to our own school, the playtime bell went. So there's a teacher with say twenty odd class uh, my classmates in a line which were being attacked with bricks and bottles and sticks and the teacher, but he's telling us to stay in line. Well, I was being attacked, and the teacher was being attacked as well. And then I just thought, I've had enough of this, and I've just, I just got off because they were looking at me. Because in the evening time, where I live, you've got Edinburgh Road, and that's where we fight. Because in the eighties, there was, there wasn't playstations or anything like that back then. It's like, um, that's what you done as a pastime. You went and fought with the estate over. And when I say fight, you just chase him, they chase you, you maybe catch one of them and like, do you know what I mean? Then it would escalate into like more serious and serious, serious violence. And it was seen as like a, a pastime, as you will, like a hobby. So was there no police presence at the school? The police were more or less non-existent back then. It was like, <laughs> oh, they were too busy chasing uh, more serious matters, which there were probably quite a lot at, at that time. And as I say, where, where I'm from, it was, there wasn't any shop. You couldn't like, go in the shop. It was like the ice cream vans. So, like, they never even sold ice cream, I don't think. They sold, <laughs> they sold drugs. They sold nappies, pot noodles, things like that. And that's where I got my first job, was on an ice cream van. Working um, for Margaret and Tam McGraw on, that, on their ice cream van. I was only a young, young boy, I think, about... 14, 15, when I started on the vans, working with the licensee and his wife. And how soon um, into it did you discover that it, they were not just selling ice creams? Well, it was always common knowledge anyway to us, but the thing that uh, marked my estate different from the rest of like Easter House, and you couldn't sell heroin in other state, you weren't allowed. And anybody caught doing so would uh, get what they called the treatment. Do you know what I mean? Where the vigilantes would just come out and do something, take you away and do something bad to you. So you weren't allowed to. It was like uh, the Balanock team, where, I, where I'm from, they were Tommy Campbell and people like that. They were armed robbers. So like they set they set the tone in the East End of Glasgow, whereas they were quite a close-knit group. And I think that was the secret to um, how they went on to like take over organised crime in Scotland, which they did. 
McGraw and that people are and of his ilk. Yeah, because Blink's mentioned McGraw. Yeah, yeah. Well, Blink will tell you, like we Paul, they all, they all lived in Mar, they all lived in Mar State at one point, and I think McGraw and his brother-in-law, they were the members of the UDA, and like they were, they were sending money to Northern Ireland, like like got for weapons and everything else. Uh, when they were doing the robberies, they would get postal orders, which you couldn't get rid of in Scotland, so they send them over to Belfast, which to give to the product, paramilitaries, and they would use them. And that's um, sort of what you've, it was structured like Northern Ireland, if you will, the estate, whereas if you were totally turned up to see what a senior member of that team, you had to go and turn up. Otherwise, like if they caught you on the street, then even though the likelihood you're going to get beaten anyway, but you had to go round and face it, otherwise, like, do you know what I mean? It would be far worse, I would think. So what so, happened working the ice cream van? Well, as I say, where the ice cream vans were actually based, McGraw's, all the vans, like the Steels had a van, um, Drew Drummond had a van, Billy McPhee had a van, um, but the only one that was actually under lock and key was McGraw's van, because of um, certain things that he'd done to certain people, allegations that he'd set people up and everything else, and like security was quite paramount to him, to Tam and his wife, Margaret, and whatever else. So, because um, it was felt that he was behind Tommy Campbell's incarceration when he was, in fact, innocent, Tommy. But I don't think if Tommy Campbell was on the street, Tam McGraw wouldn't have reached the, the heights that he did actually reach with Tommy Campbell there. So, he needed Tommy Campbell off the street, otherwise, it would have prohibited him for get, progressing. And climbing as he did, and, and making as much money as he did before he died. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What did you experience working? Yeah, if somebody came up to you and they were like, "Can I have a Mister Whippy?" No, well, <laughs> well, it's, it's it was the it was a, a McGraw's van on its own wouldn't sell it. It was always gave out to other vans and like as I say, they, they couldn't sell it in my estate. You weren't allowed. Even even he wouldn't break the rules because he was up there. He was there was still people far worse than him to answer to. So I don't think do you know what I mean. It's like although we knew it did go on, it never went on in, in our own area. So what did you actually do for that job? No, I just more or less made sure Margaret was all right in the van because I was always been quite big for my age and that. And like just because a lot of them were getting petrol bombed, they were getting threatened. And like the McGraw family, apart from Tam, is like a family that I have been close. They carried my mother's um, coffin, not Tam, but his brother and like his sons carried my mother's coffin when I was in, in Garth and at the funeral and that when we couldn't. And they they are nice, decent people, hardworking people. They just happen to have the same name and be related to Tam. Do you know what I mean? So I think they got a lot of stick where it was... I think it was really um, wrong because they had no they had no part in anything that, that went on, especially the bad things he was accused of. Have you got stories of hurry experiences you you encountered protecting them? Well, I could tell a story, but um, I don't think I would. I play a prominent part in this because um, I came back. I was coming home one day, and there's like twenty guys outside their flats. And there were one of Tam's pals, his, his name's Robert Harrison, 
for me, swing bike, and um, his brother was a burglar, and they lived downstairs from where we lived in this, these flats. And um, anyway, they were kick, they were kicking his door in, saying we want we want they want to get their hands on him for whatever he'd done. And my mum went, you better get down the the Caravel, which was El Paso, it was my local pub where they rolled the grenade in and that that pub. Um, I run down, and I say, Tam, 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 if thing me. And I think this was McGraw's success. He could pick up the phone and within about 10, 15 minutes, you would have like 50 cars there. And I'm talking about some of the most tastiest guys you've ever seen. He could pull a team. And I think that was the secret of his success, that he could pull a team. And I think that showed me at an early age really, really how much power he had in that area. And then obviously it got resolved straight away. But it just, that was more or less an eye-opener for me, do you know what I mean? But as I say, I kind of fell into that, working on the van by mistake, because it was my mate's dad who used to run the van for him. And I, I started off just running about the cash and carry, wasn't it? Then it just went from there, do you know what I mean? And I also done Billy, Billy McFees, who got murdered. He got stabbed 27 times in the neck with a bulletproof vest on watching the rugby. I don't know if you if you remember then. No, can you remember explain to the viewers well, what happened? Um, um, he was sitting watching rugby. I, I don't know if it was a Scotland rugby match or, um, and he was one of McGraw's right hand men. But within the space of about two weeks, about ten of McGraw's henchmen had been savagely and horrifically stabbed and murdered within days of each other. The full camp more or less got decimated in the space of two weeks. While he was sitting with a Velcro uh, bulletproof vest, um, Kevlar, sorry, watching the rugby, thinking, I don't know what he was thinking, but um, somebody had run in the pub and stabbed him 27 times in the neck and the eyes and that. And died in the most horrific fashion, mm-hmm. I suppose anybody could die. Uh, and obviously, I know that family really well. When, um, do you know what I mean? But uh, I'm not saying these guys were angels because they, they were not angels. And like to to expect <clears throat> some sort of comeback like that, then obviously you've, you've bad things usually happen to bad people. Do you know what I mean? Were you worried it was going to happen to you? Well, at some point it already happened to me. But it's like I think my life must have flashed before my eyes about a dozen times before I was 18. Can you give us the first one? Um, as I said, I got hit with a meat cleaver. Um, my scalp was hanging over here um, a few times. It was meant to be a square goal, which is a fist fight in Glasgow, a square goal. It's like, as in fair and square. But um, the guy came with two of his uncles. I was stood with my sister. And uh, I thought, well, he's there with his two uncles. I'm not going to pose any kind of significant threat to him. But... For whatever reason, I, I don't know, the guy just felt within his rights to stick a meat cleaver on my head at 18 years old and then just keep hitting me with it until, do you know what I mean? So that was like my first um, experience. How did you recover from that? Yeah. I think the worst thing uh, was hearing my sister scream and seeing my mother's face when I, when I chapped the door. The horror on her face when she's seen, obviously my scalp's hanging away over there, I'm, I'm bleeding everywhere. And like seeing that look on her face, I think, do you know what I mean? Hurt me more than the actual assault did. And it always kinda 
haunted me that. Do you know what I mean? Even up till she died, it kind of I, f- I feel responsible for like putting a lot of worry and like do you know what I mean? I, uh, just constant. She's waiting on that phone ringing to to say, well, I've either killed somebody or I'm dead. And that was the norm, do you know what I mean? And if I, I weren't any different for anybody else in that area or in Glasgow for that matter. And were the police or ambulance called for that event? No, no. Because <laughs> where I'm from, if you made a statement against somebody, your grand wouldn't go to the bingo, she'd be too embarrassed if you'd made a statement. So you, you were expected to go back at a later date and take care of yourself. And so did you go to hospital? Yeah. Okay, and they yeah. just stitched you up and you got on your way? Yeah, uh, six hours in theatre to pull my scalp back together because it completely just, do you know what I mean? <sighs> Scalped. It peels off, doesn't it? Because we've interviewed a few yeah. cops and they start, they yeah. go to the, the autopsy, mm. they, they show so it, it peels off. have to pull it back together with this thing that they twist and it pulls it all back up. Do you know what I mean? Oh, Christ. Which, um, and I think ever since then, I never, ever left the house without a knife, ever. Do you know what I mean? Even when I lived in Devon, it took me a good five to seven years to stop carrying a knife. Even in Devon? Yeah. I've lived there. Yeah. And I lived in Plymouth and, like, my kids are in Plymouth. Um... And it took me a long, long time to feel, like, feel ready to stop carrying that knife. Do you know what I mean? It's like, but it's a, again, it was a norm. Do you know what I mean? Even if you hadn't suffered such a horrific attack, people were still carrying them anyway. So it was like, do you know what I mean? What was the next attack? Yeah. And the next one, I think my mate had broke his girlfriend's nose at a chip shop. And her dad was ex-army, big Welsh guy, and she had two big brothers that were in the, the Scottish uh, Scottish regiment, I can't remember what one, but we were walking down the road, and I backed her, she skidded up, when my mate never told any of us about it. Oh, God. And it wasn't until the, I was actually on the floor getting hit with scaffolding poles and golf clubs and hammers that it started to unfold. Wait a minute, he'd run off. And he'd left us, like, obviously, we, we just thought it was, like, a random attack, so we didn't know the reason behind it. So I'm thinking, I'm getting hit with hammers, not here, and I don't even know why. So taxi pulls up, did you say? Skidded up, skidded up. At the side skidded of, up? Yeah. Mm. How, many, like, how many are with you? About three years, inclu- my mate included. And then but he he um, never told us any, about any... any but so he hadn't said he punched his girlfriend? He never nothing. told us anything, no. so we just thought it was, like, some sort of gang, it's just... Were they, like, were they huddled up and stuff? No, 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 no. We knew them. We knew them from the estate. No, we knew the family. So um, it was like, as I say, my only saving grace was when he threw his scaffolding pole at me, it hit the ground before it actually hit my shin. So it kind of took the sting off it a bit, but not much, mate, because when I collapsed, I was in agony. <gasps> and I was that much pain. I never felt the hammers hitting me with my shin. Do you know what I mean? And this was right outside a quick fit. In Glasgow, in the east end of Glasgow. And I'll, I'll never forget that pain. That was, oh, it was horrible. Was it in broad daylight? In broad daylight. Wow. Yeah. yeah. How but much time had elapsed between the machete in the head and this one? Yeah, weeks. Weeks? Yeah. I would say <sighs> I had a fight, a full-on fish fight in the job centre. And um, I got hit in the face with a brick. Then a couple of weeks later, I got hit with a ball-peen hammer here. I had outer body experience. I could see myself lying on the floor. But I knew it was okay. 
It was a weird, weird yeah. thing. And then I think it was my brother and my sister that came round and like, I'd just come to a bit. But I could see myself lying on the floor. So for what reason were you hit with a brick? For no, no reason, really. Well, I just walked in job centre, smack, straight away. Outside the job centre, because yeah. we'd had a fight with these guys from another area in the job centre. So this was their area that we'd had to, we had to synchronise our signing on days. <laughs> so we're, we're going to sign on, we're taking machetes, bayonets, to just go and sign on the door. Wow. So like, as we go outside, I got hit in the face with a brick. Then as I'm trying to run, somebody's running inside <clears> of me and hit me with a hammer there. And um, and it's as I say, we had to everybody changed their day to the same day, so it was like safety numbers sort mm. of thing. So like, otherwise you'd get picked off on your own. Do you know what I mean? So like, and how old were you at this point? I was about seventeen, eighteen, doing my work experience and that. Um, learning how to do like weigh bricks and all that. So you've been stabbed, hit with um, an axe, meat cleaver, meat cleaver. Yeah. Um, a brick, ball yeah. pin hammer, ball pin um, hammer, scaffold, scaffold poles, poles, golf clubs. Is there any other items you haven't been hit with? Well, at this point, no, not no. many, not many, no. no, no. All by the age of seventeen. All by the age of sixteen, seventeen. Yeah. Wow, wow. Oh my yeah. god. Was that common from growing up? It was common. Yeah. It was like, honestly, God, it was even a belief. It's like I grew up in the eighties, so it was like really, really rough. Mm. Really rough in Thatcher's Britain, do you know what I mean? When um, single parent family at this time, with my mother with four kids, so like uh, it was rough, but it was the same for everybody, as I said. I mean, were your siblings the same? My brother was the same, uh, if not worse. So I kind of just followed him, he was like my hero a wee bit because my dad wasn't really there, do you know what I mean? And like I used to follow him and his pals about, and that's what I that's how I kind of fell into it, and I always. I'm bigger and start physical stature than my brother. So when people, they always used to go for me, even though I was the youngest, because he was the biggest. So like, they all be like, hey, get that big one there. And like, well, they're all running away. They're all years older than me. And they all used to go for me because I was like the biggest in stature, if you know what I mean. And you were left to take the shit. And I was left to take all the shit, yeah. Which is, uh, it kind of prepared me for life, mm. where life I was to expect anyway. Do you know what I mean? So when you graduated from being a van boy to a day boy, was that within the McGraw family? Well, the day boy is a proof school. You used to go there during the day at the children's home. So rather than having to go uh, stay overnight, which most of the boys did, they never had their home or anything like that, I could go home because the proximity from where the home was to my mother's house was quite near. But I've, school had given up on me by this point. So like, I was too kind of far gone because I used to think, as I say, I followed my brother and his pals around. And it went from like, a gang thing to like football thing with them, with like Rangers and Celtic and all that, with the casuals and all that. But I kind of just hung about on the fringes of like, the estate, if you know what I mean. And I kind of progressed from there for like, criminality because there was never much money about so we used to go stealing constantly robbing constantly and then breaking a commercial we would never dream of doing a house or anything like that was it cars because they were easy back then cars car stereos uh, hubcaps <laughs> um 
and for that to like factories and like shops and all that and like wholesale commercial theft. Do you know what I mean? And were you getting arrested a bit? No, no, not because we used to, what we do, the train stopped running at quarter to 12, so we used the train tracks to travel around, which kept you away from the roads. And they, they were clear till six in the morning, so you've had you've got to run the more or less the east end of Glasgow by using the tracks. Very clever. Instead of um, walking like, like pedestrian along any roads or like stealing cars, if you just kept to the tracks, it would take you everywhere you needed to go. Do you know what I mean? And you, as I say, you had a good seven, eight, seven and a half hour window to use the tracks, and it's good that they say the embankments to stash uh, contraband and things like that. You no, know? so so how old are you in the story now? I'd say about 17, 18 still. Do you know what I mean? That was me. It's probably the bloodiest um, part of my life it's ever been. And that would be like running gang battles and things like that. And they started stepping it up, the violence. It started going, getting worse and worse. And murders, murders were starting to take place. People were getting seriously hurt, getting pulled in wheelchairs, losing eyes and losing limbs and... Oh. Do you know what I mean? With a running gang battle then, is it organised that the two gangs are going to no, stand off somewhere? No, because the thing about Milana is it's not a very big estate. So what we came to do was let the went to surprise. Ambush. So what we would do, we would dress up like, like the grumpy old men chapter yeah. there. Is, um, my, my mates were in a wee holiday somewhere and I got a phone call. They smashed all my mate's windows and his sister and that was I was sleeping on the couch and terrorised or whatever else. So like a couple of weeks later, like my mate's only small in stature compared to like me and that. And one of my mates used to live with his granddad. And what they did is they dressed up as old men. And they, all these guys lived in they worked in this uh, factory where they used to uh, make like iron brew and like you no know, like the drinks. Proper Scottish. So you, we waited on them going to work in the morning, obviously they're dressed up as old men, they're sitting with dogs and things like that, so they've walked right past, we're right in their part of the estate, they've walked right past us to get to the bus stop, whereas we just encircled them and got them in the bus stop with machetes and that, and um, and done a wee bit of damage, you know what I mean, to them, but, um, and that's, that's kind of what it was like, it was like, do you know what I mean? Tactical. Aye. But we had to be like that. As I say, they had num- like far more superior numbers. We had Easter House in one estate. is like 20 different gangs in the one estate. Whereas in Balanet, there's only two gangs. It's broken into two different ends. So like, we're only half of one, one of the ends. Do you know what I mean? So we never numbered any more than like four or five to like the 15 or like 20. When was the first time you seen one of your friends seriously hurt? Um. I think it was bonfire night, and it was the same guy who got stabbed up the bum with a diver's knife. Oh no! And he went to light a a spliff off the bonfire, and an aerosol can blew his eye out while we were all full of acid. And it's and it was hearing that bang, and he turned round, and I could see that part of his face was completely missing. Where it, where he couldn't really afford fireworks, so we'd throw aerosol cans in to make the bang, knowing the, the bonfire night. And obviously he's been down to light a joint after bonfire and it blew half his face off. So like he's turned round to me and it's, I'll never forget seeing like the skeletal and the flesh hanging off his face while my micro dot had just started kicking in. And I was like rocked to my he's very core, you know what I mean? So 
that's like my first experience of seeing that. It was kind of no self-inflicted. Did you think it was the drugs at first? No, I no, knew something knew. serious was going on, but I, I, I was still laughing. But it was nerves that was making me laugh, and it wasn't not that I found it funny or anything like that. It was just horrific. Do you know what, what happened I mean? To him? <laughs> um, Did they rebuild his face? No, more or less, but he lost his eye. He lost like yeah. part of the, like the temple nerve and all that. I knew it was all completely obliterated, and like he couldn't move any of that part. He's the muscular part of his face oh, up above, gosh. like the cheek. And he completely lost that side of the face. It came as if he'd had a stroke. Sort of thing, without an eye, if you know what I mean. Mm. Any other dramatic injuries you saw on your mates around then? Um, I I seen my mate, and I swear to God, I've never seen a human head in such a shape as what I've seen my mate, Algy. Algy Anderson from Ballarat. These guys were running and there's nothing we could have done. There was only like three as we're watching three over the other side of the fence. He's jumped over. He was a bit, a bit of loose cannon, to be honest. And the physical shape he's had, I don't know how he did not die. His head was like misshaping. They're running and jumping up in the air and jumping on his head, kicking and taking penalties with his head and f- dropping slabs on his head. And like, and as I say, we were outnumbered by about 18... There was only like one or two guys that managed to go and they were getting obviously really, really injured themselves, trying to pull them back to the other side of the road. And it's probably the, the worst I've ever seen anybody being beaten. Wow, and I'm you? talking about the proper trying to kill, to kill him, do you know what I mean? What, what, what was the aftermath with him then? Did he? Well, it was quite a big noise in the Rangers as it goes. And uh, <coughs> the comeback was quite bad for the, the guys that had actually done it to him because he was quite high up in the ICF, which is part of the Rangers stroke West Ham in the 80s. So, like, the Rangers top boys had organised a van and that, and they actually got, got the guys back for it, do you know what I mean? So but, they kidnapped them? No, they never kidnapped them, they just gave him a taste of what he'd got, but proper, probably worse. Did he recover? Yeah, he recovered fully, Algie, yeah, he did recover, aye, but it's, it's probably the worst I've ever seen anybody's head. And it, it seemed to double in size, but on the one side... So like, that seems like normal, but I swear, how he never died, mm. I don't know. I do not know. I've got to ask, have you ever seen a Glasgow kiss? Yeah, that's not, Glasgow kiss a head, but that's a Chelsea smile. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> so have you ever seen a Glasgow yeah, have, yeah. kiss? Yeah. I got a little confused. Yeah. I haven't had a much of a violent background. No. <laughs> <laughs> It's no, it's horrific. As I say, I went to prison. This one. When I got out in the meat cleaver, I slashed a, a guy, and I've obviously I denounced knife crime and that now. But at the time, I f- oh, I was really I was raging. But it was I mean? common. It was common, but still, I had to have some sort of substance in me to give me the thing me to do it. I couldn't even bring myself to do it. Unless I was under the influence of like alcohol or some sort of like drugs, like Valium or something like that, do you know what I mean? I couldn't, I couldn't stone cold go out and do it as other people were doing it, and I hadn't really reached that point yet in my life. Do you know what I mean? So who was the LRU crew? LRU crew. Well, in Berlini, is uh, the YOs. As I say, I slashed that, that guy, and the LRU crew was the long grand, long grand remand unit. Which you went to Berlin B Hall first as a as a YOs. 
Yeah, there was no TVs then. There was no toilets, no radio. All you had was a book. And uh, if you were lucky, a little Chaplin's radio, a little, little square thing like that. With, or you could get like a PP9 battery. Remember the old square batteries you used to get and wire them up? So uh, you'd go up to Berlini for like a month. Then from Berlini you'd go to like Logrigan Romand unit, which was on just on the outskirts of Glasgow. And it was like for like the Glasgow and like Lanarkshire sort of area. It was like um, specifically because the Edinburgh lads used to go to like Edinburgh, South Wing and Pullman, whereas we would go to Long Again, it was for Glasgow lads and surrounding areas, really. And that's the LRU crew. Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, I walked into, I got three years for a serious assault where I severed the tip. Uh, is uh, I don't know if it was a, if it was a temple nerve with a, with a steak knife and then what was the yeah. motive? Well, it was to it was to do with the the meat cleaver attack on me. It was it was an attack of revenge or retribution or whatever you. And then obviously I slashed him a few times in the face. I've, it was my first time doing serious prison. If you know what I mean, like. Although I know it was only a three-year sentence, but it was my first ever sentence, and especially in Scotland, where they would have to go to Pullman, and that's like uh, I walked into the middle of a war. Whereas, uh, because I came from the East End of Glasgow, you're expected. Well, you were saying about the short collar thing and all that in America. Well, you're expected to take part, and if you don't take part, then your expectancy. Your life expectancy, I don't mean f- physical life, I mean your shelf life on any sort sort of normal location or anything like that will be c- quite short-lived. So um, you're expected to take part in the, the most extreme violence at a drop of your heart. Although it might have nothing to do with you whatsoever, it just has to be somebody that falls within your jurisdiction to make you get involved in like my... F- I was in a children's home with this guy and I was walking down to the welder's workshop where we worked and we were manufacturing all the knives and then selling them on the other wings. So uh, as we were walking um, down, a guy had walked by with, a, I can only describe it, a, a metal ladle he's stolen from the kitchens which has been grinded into a point and he just stuck it right in my mate's belly right up to the hilt and just kept walking. And I just, I remember at that point, I thought, oh, wait a minute, where have I, where have I landed in here? Because I'd only been there like a couple of weeks and I'm thinking, oh, I can forget about any 18 months, halfway three years kind of scenario. These guys are trying to kill each other over the most trivial things that you imaginable. And it, oh, it was like, it was an eye opener for me. But I also learned, uh, I think it desensitised me to violence. And like, and that's when I started like getting deeper and deeper, not really caring and like no, no really taking anything else into consideration apart from my own personal feelings and gratification. Do you know what I mean? I never cared about when it happened to anyone else or anything like that. It was all to show, what like show power sort of thing. Do Just give the viewers a better understanding of Balini. Then could you describe what it was like, you know, going in on your first day? Well, 
Berlini prisons, what no other prison I've ever been in. I've been in Woods, I've been in Dartmoor, I've been in Garth, I've been in right, some right naughty jails. But Berlini's something special altogether <laughs> because um, they put you in, in reception, what they call a dug box, and it's like a, a box, I'd say, about three feet in width. And um, it's got a little shelf on it. And um, you can be kept in this box. Every, every single one has uh, its own individual door. So you're sitting in a dog box on a shelf for anything up to eight hours waiting to go in the wing. Is it like a sweat? You know when you get in a sweat box? No, it's much smaller than a sweat. Small. It's much smaller than that. It's like, I'd say, just a bit bigger than how I am now with thighs. So I would probably struggle to sit in that box. And you, you're, you're required to sit there for at least four hours. And what they would serve you is a thing called mystery bowl. I don't know if any of the lads have spoke to you about the mystery bowl. No. What's it called? Mystery bowl. Mystery bowl. 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 Yeah. Bowl. bowl. So bowl. you can see it and you can taste it, but you'd never ever be able to guess what was in it. Oh, it's like mystery sloth, what yeah. he had in it. But it's like yeah. mystery bowl, we called it. And uh, mm. it was like, the weird, I've never ever seen it before or since. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Here's a word from our sponsor, Harry's. Having such a scratchy face... I'm always delighted to get a new Harry's set. There's a foaming gel, hydrating night lotion, and the razor with the weighted handle really gets the job done. The trimmer blade makes it so easy to get into those tricky places to reach. The shave gel offers effective lubrication and just comes off like butter. It's such a smooth shave. It shaves fast, efficiently, no discomfort, and it is so smooth by the end. The hydrating night lotion is light and non-greasy. Harry's is doing a zero pounds trial. Start shaving with the products, just pay for delivery. Save every time. Save on all your shaving products without sacrificing quality. You're in control. You can modify or cancel your plan from the account page. Make sure to support our podcast and start your own skincare journey by redeeming a free Harry's trial set. All you cover is £3.95 for delivery. Just head to harrys.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N, and have your trial set delivered to your door. That's harrys.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Thank you for supporting our sponsor. That experience, and the stuff, I know for a fact, they're still giving it out. When I used to go up for Garth for my visits, and explain? they're still giving out Y-fronts in Scottish prisons, even to this day. You have to, every... Two or three days, you get what's called a small kit change, whereas you get two pair of socks and two set of white fronts, and the socks you maybe get a little one and a big one, <laughs> or you maybe get two of the same but they'll have holes in them, and that's wrapped in a white towel, and that's your small kit change, and it still goes on to this very day. In Berlini, it's like the time, land of time forgot. Can you explain what was in this mystery bowl then? Well, this is a thing nobody knew, <laughs> apart from the guys that were in the kitchens, but they were, they were sworn to secrecy, I think. Do you know what I mean? What was the texture like? It was like, it's part semolina, part onion soup. So the smell? It could vary from like potato to like, uh, turnip. <laughs> so it was nearly like, I know you made it sound a lot more delicious. That's what it was, but it wasn't as anything as, as nice as that. Do you know no. what I mean? 
And it's still like this to this day. To this day, to wow. this very day. They must have a, a, a secret recipe book, like Iron Brew. <laughs> <laughs> because the two people own Iron Brew. They aren't allowed to fly together on the same flight because they're the only two people that have the actual recipe. So they have to fly separately in case the both of them come down in the one flight. I've heard of this. Yeah. I did not know that was yeah, so a real it's, fact. It must be similar for like, the mystery ball <laughs> and the chef's uh, handbook in Bologna Prison. Uh-huh. What happened when you get out the box? Oh, well, you better just do what you're told straight away, mate, or otherwise you're going to suffer um, the most brutal. And uh, I remember talking to a guy I knew for Govan one time, and, and the screw went, shut at you. And, and what it was, he grabbed, before sweat boxes, he used to get cuffed to, like, two other prisoners. Mm. And, like, and you come out the High Court in Glasgow, you have these two strip windows, like, vents, but you could, if you were near the window, you could get your hand out. So my mate, just, he grabbed a parcel one time and the driver must have seen him because he swam the brakes on but by the time he's got the back of the bus, he's gone. So they've put me up, be hauled out for that and I remember the guy's dead now. But um, he's, I said to him, we are, sorry, sorry. So he went, right, they've ended up putting me in the cell next door to him. And I said, how am I going to get that? He went, get a line over, get a line over. So I'm looking at my cellmate and he had a pair of cat boots on, right? So I'm thinking, because the bogs and Berlin, as you know, they're quite thick. So I said to the guy, can I borrow your, one of your cat boots? I says, but both the laces. And he went, aye, that's, that's fine, isn't it? It was his first time in as well. So I was swinging, swinging the, the boot. And just, <laughs> just as I'm about to swing the boot, the... The staff has opened the door. You must have seen me swing the line. I've just let the line go with the guy's cat boot. <laughs> and I so then when they did go to Long again, the next day, he's there with one shoe on. And the, and the staff saying, where's your other shoe? He's like, you swing that? He went, no, 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 I've lost it. Getting the chase with it. Because he didn't want to admit that he'd, he'd been hand swing the line. He's, he said he lost it, getting chased with the police <laughs> before we got arrested. But that's what it was like. It, was, well, it didn't matter if you were an IO. It was like brutal, brutal. So they sent um, you to a cell right away, not a dorm? No, they weren't in the dorms. Um, where I was going, it was all single, single cells. Oh, single cells. Yeah. After Berlini, which everybody was doubled up, but when you go to Longer again, and what, Pullman, it's all single cells. Cell. What happens if, like, you get a, a Catholic gets put in a cell of a Protestant? Well, it's just whoever's not the toughest, I suppose, calls, calls the shots. And was that quite frequent? Well, it, what they tended to do was during old firm games, they'd bang everybody up. So there wouldn't be any, like, fights. There still are, even in men prisons, uh, adult prisons in Scotland. They don't like having having you out on the landing when there's, like, um, old firm on because it's, like, really, really, do you know what I mean? It's religious. It's not just a football team. It's, like, whole way of life. And it's, like, do you know what I mean? It's You can taste the hatred. You can smell the hatred. Do you know what I mean? But they trusted you to do welding. Yeah. Okay. We're making road signs, but also manufacturing like big swords and all that, and we'd have sword fights and all that in the workshop. But we couldn't take them out, it was just for our own entertainment while we're in the workshop. <laughs> Practicing. Our, 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 our sideline was knives, and yeah. um, we'd sell them on the wings for like tobacco and things like that. Yeah. Drugs. So you're in Bellani, you're only a teenager, right? At yeah. this age still. You've got your own cell, mm-hmm. and you've just seen someone get stabbed yeah. to the hilt. Did you have to change the way I was you... expected to take that ladle out of him and run after the guy who just stabbed him and start stabbing him with But there's a thing called jailbait in Scotland. It's a it's an old cons uh, law. 
which means if you get stabbed, you're supposed to just accept it. Don't make a noise. Don't draw attention to your wound until they're clean away. Otherwise, you get accused of jailbaiting, which is fly grassing. So if you draw attention to it, you're, you're, you're deliberately drawing attention and they're going to get arrested. So you're seen as being a grass. Mm. If you yelp, if you dare yelp, even though it might hurt. Which is so cut, you're supposed to just absorb it, then come back at a later date at your own. So what happened I mean? to him? He got rushed to the hospital and, um, and this is what I'm saying. Now this guy, he was a friend of mine. His friends then turned against me. So I've not only got these guys against me, who's there at Warby, I've now got lone guys against me because i never done what I should have done in their eyes, which was pick that knife up and run up and stab him the way that he's just stabbed him. But that probably would have killed him because if you pull it out of the This wound, is what I'm saying. Well, so... But this, this is a kind of mentality that you're forced to um, deal with. It's all double standards, contradictory. So like, you... you you're in a maze, you're just constantly, like, if you're in segregation, so they'll shout the night before, right, as soon as the first door opens, if you don't throw your piss pot and screw his face, the first one that don't do it is getting it. So you had to do it, do you know what I mean? Because otherwise, it's seen as, like, solidarity, if you know what I mean? It's like, so the first guy will do it, then you hear, ah, 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 then it'll be the second <laughs> guy, so you're waiting on your turn, do you know what I mean? So what I used to do, i just throw it over the wall, but you still got a beating anyway. But if I threw it over the wall instead of the staff, it'd be less air beating than throwing it over the staff. It's kind of like cheating. Do you know what I mean? But nobody could see anyway. They'd just hear me muffled uh, groans. And what are the I mean? staff beatings like? It was just like your lock one, lock two, but they'll get into you while other ones hold your head and whatever else. So what lock one's that, lock two's that. And like, it's CNR, isn't it? It's controlling restraint. So you become an expert, you become, um, they don't really, the first time it's really, really sore, but after that you just, you don't even make a noise by the end of, by the, end of like, the fourth time. Do you know what I mean? You're just that used to getting the beatings and that. You, so, said, you said that they, uh, the, the click against you were against you and then your mates, yeah. mates were against yeah. you. So did, did any of them launch an attack on yeah, you after did, that? Yeah, yeah, what well happened? this is the backseat peak version because I'm down the block for the, um, it was supposed to be a sit-in. But one of my mates used to get these brown jaggy jumpers. We called them Rambo jumpers. So one of my mates has got a sleeve off a jumper. He did the bright idea. It was only meant to be a sit-in protest. But he's put a sleeve of this Rambo jumper over his face. He's picked the chair up and smacked the officer right in the face with the chair. So then I thought, oh, no, we're getting it now. Do you know what I mean? So I've managed to make it back to my cell. The right bells went. Everybody else is doing all madness. Just ripping the place, smashing it. So I made it back to my cell anyway. So about like, half an hour later, I've kicked the door shut behind me and this big officer's opened the door and they went, right, you got to the seg, are you walking? I went, aye, I'm walking. He went, aye, you fuck. He's just started doing me. And then, so when I'm doing the seg, they've, they've moved me from Pullman, which is in Falkirk, to Dumfries, which is in the borders of Scotland. And this prison's for people doing seven years and over. I was only doing three years. So when I've walked, by the time I got there, it was um, the guy that's got stabbed with a ladle, all his pals are up the stairs, shout, they're all doing life sentences and all that, so they're shouting down to me, listen, see as you come up the stairs, you're getting done and all that, and I'm like, ah, what? so I'm trying to front it, the windy, but inside, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get killed here, you know what I mean, so but as soon as, I've done my month solitary, and as soon as I got on the wing, straight to the pool table, straight away, because I didn't know who was who, what was what, 
So I've just thought, right, there's a snicker, there's a pill queue there, and there's pill bars there, and there's an officer there. So I didn't have long to wait. So I'm playing, <laughs> I'm playing my shot, and this guy, it was phone cards back then. This guy's come over and he said to this, the officer, here boss, can you let him in? Nah, I knew he's over here to get the, the screw out of the way so they can do me. So he's went, here boss, can you let us in for my phone card? So I've just stood in my back to the wall with the queue ready. So again, he's um, the guy's walked by. I didn't even know who to look for, to be honest, because it was only voices at the window. I didn't know who was who, who it was what. And um, the guy did launch, he got me up, he got me in the leg with a big, um, a big, it was like a bolt off a door, like a garden shed door. Oh, um, They'd been fo- grinded into a point, so like, oh, as you get that, yeah. that snibby bit, yeah. but the big pointy bit at the other end, she stuck it in my leg and let her. I'm smacking him over the head with the cue and he's like, you're, bringing, you're jail baiting me up, you're jail baiting me up. So again, I had to drop the cue, oh about turn, and walk away with a, with a knife in my leg because oh my otherwise I'm perceived as being a grass. Do you know what I mean? So you, you just need to absorb it and then go away, get it dealt with yourself, either take care of it yourself or you go sick a couple of days later so nobody gets suspected of doing it to you. What was the wound like? It's just left a wee hole in my leg, about that big, a wee L-shaped hole. Do you know what I mean? And there. you fixed it up yourself? No, I went, I went, I just say I went over at the gym, but they didn't believe me, they knew better. So they knew better even to ask. So it was like a common, common thing, do you know what I mean? So, so when you came back from medical then, you still in that same area? with? I'm still thing? in the same thing, on the wing with them all, don't know anybody. <laughs> Everybody's still, everywhere I go, they're like, do you know what I mean? It's like... What was the next attack? Yeah. Well, there wasn't really one after that. I've, I've, I've kind of said to the guy, listen, me and you in the shower, and I've, I've done it publicly, because at least then it would take away all the paranoia, it would take away everything else. So I've said to him, after this, I says, me and you get in the showers. And he went, oh, I don't operate like that, I don't operate. I says, well, tough. As soon as um, I see you in the gym, it's on, you know what I mean? But he kind of, he t- they kind of came back at me, saying, right, yeah, listen, don't worry about that, and all that kind of, do you know what I mean? But because I'd fronted him, in front of everybody, it, it kind of, because there was already ongoing issues that they had going with other people, so they, nobody perceived as taking a back seat, but they, they, they were, if you, know, if you know what I mean. So like, because I'd put it on them, and she's like, well, that's the point that got to me, I just went, do you know what, man, I don't give it's on as soon as we get a new showers, do you know what I mean? He went, oh, and it was kind of, forgot about it after that, but these guys were doing live sentences, I was I only had eighteen months to serve, and I think I only had about nine months left. And I was thinking I'm never going to see this, see, and if I do live to see it, I'm going to be doing the rest of my life. Do you know what I mean? And that's I just felt. Do you know what I mean? Trapped. Do you know what I mean? Oh, bloody hell! Did, so did you like, not con- conduct a sort of plan to get moved? Well, I, f- I just failed to see where I could go because the Scottish prison system isn't really a big system. No, it's a hide. Do you know what I mean? There's nowhere that you can really go, and if you did go, there'd be implications on the street. But my family would have to say, well, what happened to your brother there? He hardly shined. Your brother's this or your brother's that. Where are you, where are you going to go? Do you know what I mean? So there's nowhere to go. Where so you going to go? Nine, nine months left after this. That's what any... I'm saying. I, and I did, I thought, do you know what? I might just stay the block for these last nine months. But, I, but they, start, they wouldn't let me. <laughs> <laughs> the staff went, no, you're going to be And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, man, this... But I think the news, you know what I mean? So like, I just went back up there, kept my head down, it kind of fizzled out after a few months. But I had to, like, do you know what I mean? I never went through the mill a bit, but I had, like, a few scuffles and that, but it was never ever as serious as the first stab with I took. Mm. 
Do you know what I mean? What were the scuffles over? Well, just more or less the same thing, just uh, repercussions of the same thing. And it was, as I say, I ended up snapping, had enough of it, and I just went, I'm, I'm going to get beat up anyway. I might as well front it, you know what I mean? Which I did. Do you know what I mean? I think it was only about 18, 19 year old I was. Do you know what I mean? My and, God. I, and they're like, these guys are doing life sentences and like 27 wrecks and things like that. They're only the same age as me. But they're like, they're doing full life terms without one at a time. It was called with WLT. With, that was like a Scottish HMP at the time for like young adults. So like, I had to just, it was a lesson mm. that was going to mould me for the rest of my life. Do you know what I mean? So it's like it's like raw survival in there, yeah, isn't it? That's what it is. That's exactly what it is, mate. Because it was raw survival, you're just thinking day to day. Were you able to plan what you were going to do when you got out or were you just going with the flow? No, it was just getting to that gate. As long as you could get to the gate, then you could make... You could get, once you're there, you're there. But it's getting there, do you know what I mean, mate? And you never have a plan ahead, never ever take anything. You can't be complacent in that sort of environment, do you know what I mean? As it got closer to the gate, did people try and trip I you up? It made me even more... Because I knew I had that... It was there, it's called gate fever. When you get fevered mm. up, as you know yourself, you know that date's coming and you just don't want anything to spoil it. Did you tell anyone? Everybody you... knew, aye, because oh. it's on your door card, isn't it? So, like... I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, in Scotland, it's written on your door card. Uh, lib date, liberation date. So the kings are put you up against it. It's not as if you can hide it or anything like that. They're so setting you up. Well, this is the thing. <laughs> it's like... It's us. Believe me. I think that's what kind of moulded me with a young uh, adult life. Mm-hmm. That, they say it's learned behaviour, classical conditioning, isn't it? psychology, it's like learned behaviour. It's like being able to just switch yourself off and that's what I had to do. Otherwise, I don't think I could have gone through that. And is that your story, standing in my ground? Standing my ground, oh, I, that, was that, that, that was that time yeah. when I, when I just snapped and I thought, you know what, if I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it anyway, so I might as well just turn around and face it. And which I did, do you yeah. know what I mean? But I was really, really worried and scared. Do you know what I mean? To be honest with you, I was, I was, you, you I was petrified. The, you did the right thing, calling that one guy mm. out, didn't you, in front of yeah. everybody? Yeah, I had to. Turned you it had around to. for you. You had to because there was a thing called the heavies that you used to do, and if you were, f- it was like a dining hall, and you used to get old metal teapots and like this the salt and the thing me, and if you happened to be fourth at the table. At any table, you had to take the heavies up, and it was seen as a weaker dafty's job. So like everybody was standing in the queue and they'd go one two three four one two three four, and if you were fourth in that queue at any table, you were on the heavies and you were a dafty. So you can imagine everybody standing there determined not to be fourth at the table, out of every single table. So there was scuffles every single day. Every you had to walk through two metal detectors just to go for your dinner. Do you know what I mean? It was heavy, heavy duty. And like having to count one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And if you were four at the table, the rest of the table would just abuse you because you had to take the teapot up and like the salt and the pepper shake. So you were constantly up against it. They had like, oh, it was like a million different things that I never even had a clue about because I'd never been to prison before. Did the food improve? No. You used to get six sandwiches. Scottish uh, sausage is like square sausage. So like you'd cut. Like spam? No. It's like sausage meat, but it comes in this steady like a link form. It'd be like in a hamburger form, but like a shape of a square. So you would get six sandwiches out of one sausage, and like it become quite a, uh, I became quite adapt uh, making one sausage go a long, long way. Do you know what I mean? 
so the, the food wasn't in abundance, but it was, it was all right. Mm. So I mean, all right. So you make it to the gate then, mm. and what what happens in your life next? Well, by this time I'd already progressed, man. I was already mixed <coughs> up with people that were involved in really high-profile crime in Scotland, and I was only twenty. So I was I was not around by like pro- probably. One of the leading um, crews in Glasgow at the time. Do you know what I mean? You're back to the McGraw family. No, no, no. The, um, as I say, as McGraw got richer, he, he drew he drew himself further and further away. Feel like, especially in his own area, he was never ever as active in his own area. That was just my my um, initial introduction to how these people c- conducted themselves and would sort of ruthlessness and how it was affecting like full families and everything like that. Do you know what I mean? And like. Oh no! This was uh, this was um, through one of my best mates. He's now dead, and my other mate who we done the old man thing. We dressed up as the old men and that. Well, obviously when I've been in prison, they'd been up to like what we used to get up to, but got into like uh, dealing drugs and things like that. But no, like classy, like I'm talking about ecstasy, like wholesale, like amphet, puff, and things like that, like low level stuff. Do you know what I mean? But um, the violence was just as bad, and it was like, I think I was only in Glasgow about six months after that release, before I moved. Why did you move? Be- because um, I got, I felt full of certain people, and I just didn't want to take that with my family, because if I would have, if I would have proceeded today, what I was going to do, it could have had serious effects on like people that I loved, like my sister, my mother... Um, my brother and like and I, I wasn't forced to move but I just I chose to move because it was either going back to the jail I've just come out, managed to get out of by the skin of my teeth or um, so I, I moved to London I, I moved to London I, I, I got a job in London I started working in London it was just a big relief off my shoulders yeah. it was just like a big wave of relief as if do you know what I mean it was like I could walk Told about you. without having to be looked behind me. I could walk about without having to carry weapons. I could, I could function normally without all, they, all these pressures. You know what I mean? All these like boundary, invisible boundaries, and like, do you know what I mean? Just let's just go yeah, back a bit because I think backseat Pete happened in Glasgow or London. That happened in prison. What? Well, that's it was preceded. I was called backseat Pete. Because I never took the blade from his <laughs> stomach and run along and stabbed the other guy that stuck it his, in his stomach. That's 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 where that's, that the backseat Pete thing comes they from. They called you that. The back ah, row yes. drawer, the backseat Pete. Aye, that's what they call you. And you, you got you on never, the graft. On the graft is when I got out. I started grafting. Aye, right. I was selling. Um, just as I say, not um, not quite A, but like. E-class drugs and like I got involved with a Party guy who was quite yeah he was bringing them up for Liverpool and and that kind of turned my head because in this country they pay you for money they pay you money for doing things that I would have to do just to live in Scotland so down here I would make I would get paid money to do things I was just having to do just to live where I lived in Glasgow so I was getting paid money down here for that and good money you know what I mean yeah. so that kind of tipped it for me because the quality of life in Scotland was pretty poor and it's, I don't think it's changed that much and it hasn't do you know what I mean so like down here it was like I would open my door and there's the beach in Devon 
I don't know. Mm-hmm. I lived in Torquay for three years. I lived in Plymouth. I know it isn't really picturesque, Plymouth. But Newquay's only down the road. Um, T- Torquay's only there. Weymouth's only there. Bournemouth's only there. And like, do you know what I mean? I do, I do open my door and there's a beach. Whereas I open my mum's door, it's just grim, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and that's the difference. That's what kind of swayed it for me. And mm-hmm. when I had, by that time, I had See, a, a little girl on that. So, do you know what I mean? I would never have dreamed of taking my kids to Scotland. So to, how long were you work. in London before, before you moved out? I was only in London about 18 months or something before I moved to Devon. Any major scrapes in London? No. No. I thought uh, London was brilliant. I, I was I was really absorbed it because I'd been in prison just before I moved there. It was 24 hours London and I loved every second of it. The money was good. The only thing, they, they get you with accommodation. That's the only thing mm. about London. They stuff you with the, your rent and things like that. Do you know what they I mean? still that's, do to that, this I day. Know. And like when I used to work up in the Kilburn Plaza and that, I was building with all the Irish boys and that. I was getting equivalent a week's wage, a Glasgow's wage a day in London on the shovel. Whereas, do you know what I mean? But as I say, it's the rent that always gets you, do you know what I mean? So Were you legitimate? While I, you was like, no, I was legitimate, but semi-legit. I was obviously, it was casual work, do you know what I mean? So it wasn't on the books or anything like that. But um, I loved it, I thought it was brilliant. And it, so then you moved to Devon? I moved to Devon. My, my dad was in the, I just, as you know, he was in the army. And one of his friends from London Derry he got me a job. It was macro season on a Jersey boat called the Peter J. So I went to work on the boats, which I swear I'd never worked so hard in all my life. And these guys, I don't know what, what drives them to do that for a for a way of life. I don't know what drives these guys. Because I couldn't I couldn't have maintained that, mate. And I thought I was quite hardy and made of like, <laughs> but these guys were something something else mate but um, and that's what I started doing I started working on a trawler and like uh, then from there I went to the fish market to work um, from there like just construction until uh, I was introduced to certain uh, people from Liverpool mm. then the work changed completely was this still in Plymouth or was yeah. this in Turkey because I know how mm. rife drugs are that yeah there. yeah in both, actually. Mm. It was all the way from Torquay to, say, Falmouth. Yeah. The phone. Do you know what I mean? You wouldn't expect it in Devon and Cornwall. No, you wouldn't expect it, but apart, apparently Plymouth is the same heroin addicts per ratio than Glasgow per square mile, mm. if not more, that I'd seen. And obviously you can treble your price, you can quadruple your price, and it's like double... Where, it, where, where you would normally be able to charge like in Manchester or places like that. Down there, you can just name your price and you would get it because they like, you know what I mean? So, Liam and Turbo. Yeah, there's my mates, uh, from Liverpool. Obviously, not our real names, but they they schooled me and things. I, I thought I knew everything. I thought I knew until these guys opened my eyes wide. And I thought, wow, I can believe the money these guys were making and what they were doing with it. Was just, um, as I say, it was like a different kind of education. What were you shifting? Heroin. Just that. Cocaine, and uh, that's it. And what were the challenges to doing that? Then were the well, cops? Was the heat? Was the competitors? Not because my my role wasn't as a drug dealer. It was more the physical side, the drug collecting, and enforcement. And what challenges were in enforcement? 
Well, not to me, because obviously I was on it. By this time, I was desensitised to the violence. <laughs> so I was, I was quite willing and able to dish out the most horrific and brutal violence in the, mo- the drop of a heart. And it used to horrify even them. They'd be like, oh, I could see it in their faces. That was kind of like my my job interview sort of thing. So the debts were getting paid. Debts were getting paid, yeah. And um, I just get used to the money. What, what, I mean? what did so you like, do with the money? I just parted with it because mm. obviously I thought I owed it to myself because I spent that amount of time in prison. I thought I've, I felt I'd, I'd lost out quite a lot and like, do you know what I mean? So I just squandered it. Easy come, easy go. That was like the thing way. But, um, um, yeah, it was like they introduced me to a lifestyle that I've, I'd never ever encountered, if you know what I mean. So what were Liam and Tur- Turbo like? Oh, they were real, a pair of characters and um, only young, same age as myself, but they were far more advanced criminal, criminally than I'd ever been in you know, my whole life. And people that I knew in Scotland... They were far more advanced and they had the fa- it was like a way of life. Like to them it was like a proper career opportunity. But what they were doing, they put a lot, a lot of thing me into it and a lot of stock into it and it's pedigree as well. So like it's not they come from like places like Liverpool, like Dingo and like talk stuff and like where it's it's proper bred into them, drug dealing, and it's it is a proper career opportunity. Do you know what I mean? They proper took it and ran away with it, sort of, so to speak. Sophisticated but, drug dealers. Yeah, yeah, if you will, why? But they make, the proof is in the pudding and the amount of money that they used to make was, was obscene. No heat. Yeah, there's obvious heat, but um, these guys were, were usually quite adapt to um, being able to spot that and what they would do, they would work on like six months off, uh, six months on, three months off. They'd always went home at Christmas, whereas I never, because I, I'd, I'd been with a local girl, so I used to stay all year round. So like they would send down what three teams or two per vehicle. So I was I, would, I had to house these guys, get them a orientation, introduce them to like such and such and blah blah blah. Then just sit at the phone, just waiting for instructions, more or less. So did you have a relationship at this point? Did I have a relationship mm. with, with a female? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, yeah. I took it. I had my second kid on the way. So how did you balance family life? And <clears throat> well, I just took it like any 9-to-5 job, do you know what I mean? But instead of what, uh, building and that, I was what, hitting people with hammers and things like that for money. Mm. Was your missus in the dark about all that then? Uh, half and half. She Obviously, she knew what went on, but like, do you know what I mean? It's like... It's, she kind of turned a blind eye for the financial um, rewards, yeah. Mm. Do you know what I mean? What happened on the moor? Well, in Dartmoor, um, the, on Dartmoor Exercise Yard, ever since the 60s, they've had this wee corner, it's called Scott's Corner, <laughs> and it's where the jocks sit, and they play Bella in card games like that. Now, the only uh, rule in Bella is never teach an Englishman how to play it. That is the only rule. So, uh, in the Scott's Corner, you would have, say, these would, who would sit with the Scots, be the Irish, the Scousers, and uh, the Welsh, and um, and a friend of mine from Glasgow had started a war with the Gypsies, 
and uh, so on. Exercise, as I say, there's only like a handful of is. One of my mates is a raging psychopath. He, oh, it'd be hard to describe this guy to you. Anyway, um, we've been on the yard this day, we've got table legs and everything else, and all the gypsies are congregating over the corner. And my mate from Glasgow, the east end of Glasgow, and he's saying to me, who is it, Derek? And I'm, I'm saying, I'm trying to be a bit discreet about it, and I'm saying, there's something I'll be there. And he's right, who am that? He's walking over to them, and he's like, him here? And I'm going, I'm going, no, and he's just, he's just getting into them, stabbing them all, and like, do you know what I mean? So it got, it got that bad on the yard, that uh, when I went in, I'm on the same wing, as like four of the gypsies, and it's only me on the wing, Scottish-wise. So on my way in, this old gypsy's trying to get my attention, so I'm ignoring him, I'm ignoring him, I'm ignoring him, I'm thinking, he's going, Jock, Jock, and I'm going, what is it, mate? And he's going, listen, I'm sorry about that, and that. He says, tell your friend, I'm sorry, and that. I went, listen, I'll tell him tomorrow in the yard, and that, because there were, there were some um, uh, really, really scary guys in that, in that <laughs> firm, do you know what I mean? Sorry, and, can um, we go back to why you got sent to Dartmoor? I get sense to that more because <laughs> my mate, missed that little my mate he's now doing 35 wreck for machine gunning three people in Glasgow. He felt a bird's bum in a nightclub in a Plymouth. Our boyfriend did come over and punched him in a, a glass the boyfriend. And I got 18 months for an ABH plus my, my recall from a sentence for kicking a drug dealer's door in. Oh. So, I was in on that. When the guy went on to, uh, he got a 35 wreck in Scotland for machine gunning three guys in a garage in Glasgow. For what reason? Uh, murder. A contract, £100,000 contract. Yeah, we got the, the biggest sentence I ever gave out in Scottish history. That was my partner in Plymouth when we used to graft. Wow. Wow. Mm. Did you get your own cell in Dartmoor? Yeah, you do. But uh, Dartmoor is like, you used to wear your donkey jacket in bed. Because that's <laughs> where the Royal Marines do their selection yeah. and that's where they do their training up. And, uh, um, and like, you turn your lights off at 10 o'clock every night. So your lights outside the cell, it's not inside the cell. And it's there's no like sophisticated buzzers or bells or anything. It's the old flap. I don't know if you've ever seen them, the old flaps. So if you press the button, it just flap out. And like if the night school was deaf, they would never, your flap would never ever get answered. <laughs> there would just be a buzzer on it and the holes are that big. They wouldn't even bother their ass trying to, try to find you. But um, it's probably the closest f- a thing. It says up above Dartmoor Gates, all ye that enter here, abandon all hope. Dante's <laughs> Inferno on it. Yes. And believe me, it's the most... F- Not to the prison. Oh, it's the most forbidden place that you've ever... I would say it was a British Alcatraz, the closest, <laughs> the closest thing to a British Alcatraz I've ever seen in my life. Have you been to Dartmoor? That, yeah, they do talk. Yeah, they do. They've got a museum. They've got a museum there, and the stocks for when you used to get the cat and nine tails. You had to put your head through canvas because otherwise the whip would go round and it could take your nipple clean off. With one. The nine tails whip you used to get sentenced to lashings, didn't you, off the governor or the butch? You used to get sentenced to lashings of the butch. These stocks are still there. And it was built by the French prisoners of war, the Napoleonic Wars. I'll have to take you on tour. Wow. I'll tell you, there's a museum there as well, yeah. yeah. There's a, quite a big museum next to it. Princetown, it's the highest village up above sea level in England. Yeah. 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 
but it is lovely, but it's the most horrific place. And I, it beats Polony, but it beats Polony in that, the conditions wise, where you've got fog in your cell <laughs> and you've not got any windows, so you're just stuffing newspaper into the cracks in the mesh. You've no window, and it's only time of a little cup, and there's fog in your actual cell, like a Scooby Doo cartoon. That's what it looked like. Oh, it was horrible, it was horrific. That was horrific. And then the segregation. It's they've got um, these, these squares that actually, as I've read the Gator Wheels, it looked like a Masonic lodge thing. <laughs> but in Dartmoor, you can't walk in the same squares as the officer. You have to walk in the dull one, whereas he walks in the shiny one. So you have, you're, you're prancing for his dull square. He gave a square, fucking chest. Whereas he just walks along normal beside you. But you're not allowed to just walk out and go for your dinner there. You have to walk round these squares, then take a hard right, a hard right, a hard right to the dinner, dining plate, then a hard left, a hard left, and a hard left, back again. Wow, three Royal Marines growling, ex Royal Marines growling at you. Like, you think you're a gangster, you fucking think. And you're like, no, no, no. And they've got the hearts pulled down like that, and that's that's what it's like. Holy you know shit. I mean? it's, it's, it's as brutal and barbaric as that. It's the conditions, though, it really get you. It's not really the staff, it's just the general attitude on the moor itself. Do you know what I mean? So there wasn't many fights. Oh, there was lots of fights. And it, oh, really horrific. Bad, bad violence. Because it used to be dispersal, wasn't it? It was, a, it was part of the dispersal community in the 90s when I was there. And then um, you were still swapping out there. It was one of the last prisons in England. They stopped swapping out. And it, it's probably the most horrific um, prison I've ever been in England. And it, it definitely beats Berlin for like, conditions-wise. Because it's such an old, old prison. It's like decrepit. Like porridge. It's, oh, it's worse than porridge. Wow. I'm talking about the the most thingiest doors you've ever seen in your life. The scariest looking cell doors. And the whole place is like, it's just, oh. It's hard to describe to you, mate. Did you get attacked? No, not, not, not in Dartmoor, no. I've, it was, um, no, not that I can remember. No, not at that time. Um... It wasn't until I actually got my IPP that I ever um, be subjected to like, personal violence to myself and like, things like that, do you know what I mean? Let's hold off from that for now yeah. then. What, what other dramas happened in Dartmoor? Um, I'm trying to think of some funny stories, but I have pushed. I know they made a film, remember there, with James Nesbitt and uh, Frank Harper from the Football Factory fame called Lucky Escape. Whereas they set up a drama, a, a, a drama group, and I know they were filming that, but we'd been told that Robert Carlyle was in this film. So we're shouting out the window to this guy, where's Robert Carlyle, where's Robert Carlyle? But it was actually the guy from the football factory, uh, Frank Harper, he went, he's not in this, mate. And he went, so who's that there? It was James Nesbitt from Cold Feet, and, that, and they, they were making that <laughs> film there. And it was the only time we actually got association because usually 10 minutes before exercise, they would say, oh, duty inclement weather, exercise is cancelled today. And that, that used to happen about five days a week. And it was just pure bang up, mate, honest to God. I've never, I've never seen anything like it. You're in bed with a donkey jacket on in your bed. Do you know what I mean? It was, oh, it was horrific. Can you explain what a donkey jacket is? A donkey jacket is like you wear on building sites. It's like a big, thick 
uh, rough wool thing. It's got like shoulder things. Have you shoulder seen pads. them? Like, yeah, like but it's like st- stitched on like porridge. Like they would wear in porridge with like dungarees and <laughs> prison jeans and that. It was really, really. Oh, it was bad. It was a really, really um, basic sort of. And whatever the staff said went. You never questioned it. And like, what was the food like? <clears> oh, the there? food was horrible. And you were lucky if you got a bowl of porridge in the morning. Usually, sometimes it was only two bits of bread with a wee tiny bit of a butter sachet, and that was your breakfast with hot water. So you either had jail, your own stuff, jail tea bags or whatever else. Do you know what I mean? Was it easy to get hold of your own stuff? Well, you did have uh, canteens and that, but it wasn't as good as what it is now. It was like rather basic back then. It was like just like tobacco, vosine, or uh, like shampoo and all that, and like you could get a Mars bar or the Snickers. There was only like two bars of chocolate on the actual sheet, mm. and uh, a macaroon if you're lucky. Do you know what I mean? What about drugs in there? A wee bit of hash and all that, but it was mostly hooch. You've seen like prison hooch and uh, things like that. It weren't really the drugs that you would see now, like ketamine and things like that. No, you wouldn't see anything like that. I don't think it was even invented then. How did you pass the time in there? I just used to uh, listen to... Watch the fog creeping. Yeah, watching the fog. and uh, You could only get two stations on the radio as well. Oh, man. And one was like Radio Luxembourg. and the, I don't know what the other one, I can't remember, but, it's, but it used to change. And Some nights you would catch Mark Lamar mm. you know, like, on like, mm. the reggae and ska, and that's, mm. that would be my big Wednesday night. You know, I'd listen <laughs> to Mark Lamar doing the uh, ska and reggae. And, like, do you know about... Actually, I was diagnosed with suffering sensory deprivation after coming out of Dartmoor mm. because just long spells in isolation, like for months and then, just, do you know what I mean? Like Just lying in a cell, maybe have a book that I'd read and like everybody, as you know yourself, they'd rip the last two pages of the book or they'd rip the last chapter mm. out after you spent smoked like, it. weeks, yeah. either smoked it or whatever else, after you've spent weeks reading it. And like, do you know what I mean? There's still loads of Counting Monte Cristo and that. I've still never read the end to that. <laughs> and it's a big thick thing like that. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a big massive thick yeah. thing like that. And I've never yeah. ever read the end of it because Maybe of that. I was gutted. Future. I was gutted when I got the back and I went, oh, they've just ripped the things out at the last pages. So, so were you getting visits from your missus at no, the time? No, 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 no. No. At that time, um, I was too far gone. To like even I, I just I chose my friends over my my girlfriend and my kids more or less. I turned my back on them. Well, more my ex partner than my kids. Obviously, she was in control of that, so she kind of like took control of that because I was obviously uh, my best mate tried to kill me one day. He ran me over in a car when I was out with my daughter, and I'll never ever forget that scream that she gave when I was when the car hit me. Because I had heard in the pram and they mounted the pavement and knocked me up in the air in front of my daughter and she screamed, you know, and like she never ever forgave me for that. So, your best friend tried to kill you? Yeah. For what reason? Uh, over the graft, over the, the money. He just wanted me out of the way, so he's willing to cripple me, maim me, whatever um, it took to like get me out of the way. Did so, it- like, uh, they waited till I went to pay my bill. And when I've had my daughter there, he's, he's come screeching around the corner and I, I can knock me up the air right over the, the windscreen in front of my daughter. Did anything bad happen to him? Yeah, got 35 years of machine gun. Oh, that Three one. guys oh, in yeah. 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 Wow. Mm. So, how old are you when you got out of Dartmoor? 
must have been about 23, 23, something. What was your game plan? Straight back in there where I left before. Only now, like... With the Scousers? Mm-hmm. I was with them for like a good 10, 15 years. Same guys, same uh, setup, same sort of arrangement. Only it just seemed to get worse and worse as, as it went on, like the violence and things like that. Because obviously they were, the longer that they were gone for, the new people would be there. New people would turn up. So like, it's Johnny come lately, you know what I mean? Everybody's singing. So in order for them to claw that back again, they needed like certain things set up, like as you know, do you know what I mean? So like, they started me, and my, me and my brother. But they started paying his money and that to do like things that they ne- they never had the guts to do it. But we let them use us just for financial gain, more or less, because we were we were that desensitised to like that kind of uh, horrific violence, and they didn't really register or let bother us at that time. How was it working with your brother? Oh. Well, it's just seemed as if it's, it's always been there, do you know what I mean? That that feeling, that um, sort of, that relationship we knew what to do without even having to say anything. You got the extra trust as well. Do you know what I mean? Because I, well, you like, as I say, they're paying his money for uh, things that I would have to do anyway just to live in Scotland. So I was getting paid for it down here, so I might as well, do you know what I mean, embrace that. Did anyone over that ten years? Then did anyone try to take you out? Ah, uh, loads of times, loads and loads of times. What was the first? Yeah. Well, apart from my mate, um, mm, uh, these guys from Manchester. I, I was getting death threats, ten a penny. I was getting um, these guys phoned me and they went, "I'm going to kill. I'm a killer." Me and that. I went, "Well, hi." He went, "You done this?" And because I'd been guilty of doing some things like that. People were jumping on the bandwagon. So they were just getting the parcels sent, keeping them, saying, ah, that jock's went and took the parcel. So they're phoning me and I'm saying, well, I haven't took it. I says, where are you? And I'm coming round there right now. So I did. So he's saying, listen, mate, I'm a killer and all that. I says, right, fair enough, mate, where are you? And I'll come round. So I went round. Anyway, we went to this flat in Plymouth. And sure enough, the guy was a killer. And he ended up killing the guy who tried to um, rip him off. How? He killed, stabbed him in the neck. And um, obviously I confronted him. I said, what are you doing telling these? I've, I've taken their stuff when, when I hadn't. So they had a fight. And obviously the guy who got killed had got the upper hand. So the guy then did kill him. He's grabbed a knife at the kitchen drawer, stabbed him in the neck and killed him right in front of me. So, in front of you? Yeah. And then like me and three other people. He got 10 years for a manslaughter, a guy from uh, Manchester. And he's out now. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So what other attempts have you had on your life? I've had a few. I've had a few. I've had guys try to drag me away in a van um, in Plymouth. My best mate ran away and left me. You hit me bats. And it seems like a reoccurring theme, doesn't yeah, it? It seems yeah. to be, yeah. It seems to be. But um, he ran away and left me. So when I did make it back to the pub, I said to the barman, it was a Rangers supporters club in Plymouth, I says, what are you having there? I says, I'll have a Cronenberg. I says, one for the Roadrunner. And they were all laughing at him because he'd run away. And, like, obviously, it's like a hard-working Scottish thing. All the guys who were in the dockyard. It's a Rangers supporters club. And once I said, explained what had happened, he'd run away and left me. He'd get kind of snubbed with all the guys in the supporters club after that. So how did you get away from the guys in the van? Well, just for sheer luck. Do you know what I mean? I, mean, I wriggled out do, my jumper you... and it kind of saved my life. 
<laughs> yeah, they had my jumper and I just wriggled right out of it. But they were hitting me with bats and that at the time, trying to get me in the back of the van. Guys from Liverpool. But I just with the skin of my teeth. Did I get away so with that? they were rivals of Liam and yeah, Turbo. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what they did, they shot up Turbo's mum's house in Liverpool, machine gun to his mum's house as a warning to keep back. And he, he never took it, he just moved his mum and that out. Nobody got Somewhere hurt. about, no. no. But they, that is a warning, they fired a scorpion machine gun at his mum's house and that to warn them. But he wouldn't give it up, so he'd rather than give it up, he'd just move these mum and dad, which was probably the best thing. Oh, yeah. You know of course. I mean? So the next attempt of your life? Um, Trying to think. Uh, when I went round, uh, I'd done a ro- I robbed a drug dealer on Christmas Eve, and um, it was in a free up apartment. So when I've locked the door, I've had the keys in my pocket, so nobody could go anywhere because my three stories high. And uh, as I walked in the front room, there's about ten people sitting. So I just had to. Um, I'd always I was already committed by this time, so I just had to try and go with the floor as best I could so um, I was with somebody else and um, obviously they alleged that there was a gun there and everything else so we done whatever it was we done but on the way down the stair uh, obviously by this time I've had to open the door and as we were going down the stair the gun had, had to be put away whatever so on the way down the stair we, we had to run a gauntlet of like hammers um, you name it irons uh, Oh, I can't even remember where. TVs, portable TVs getting through our heads and that. So we had to hang with the gauntlet all the way down, three stories of stairs, then back onto the street, where they would just keep coming at us because the person I was with was reluctant to pull the gun on the street. And then, so I did manage to make it back to my girlfriend's house. This was Christmas Eve, 2003. And then I'm lying on the couch... I was just dozing off and I've heard my girlfriend say, before I told you, Mum, we're not going to Grand's for Christmas dinner. And I went, well, we went high. So we had, our bedroom was in the loft. So I've looked along the road and I've seen it. So I'm, it's blocked off, the street's blocked off and that. So I never said nothing to anybody in the house. I just went back and I'm popping the uh, tablets that I had, volumes and all that. Get a wee Rambo pack you got to take. Because I knew they were coming. But I never told anybody else in the house. And our dad was an antique stealer. He had an antique shop in the Barbican. So, I've kidding on, I was uh, sleeping again, and I'm just waiting, and sure enough, boom, the door goes in. <laughs> Our stepdad says, I've got stolen antiques in the cupboard, as if we're coming with haircon cock machine guns for antiques, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So anyway, I was just on the carpet at this point laughing, but um, it wasn't funny. And um, I got a 9 one for the man, but due to conflicting statements, whatever else, one says it was a revolver, one says it was an automatic, one says it was a hammer. So like, um, and because they were... Guilty, they were drug dealers, known drug dealers. I got discontinued after a nine month from Ireland. Nine months, was that a Dartmoor again? No, Exeter. Exeter? Yeah. Central? Yeah. Mm. And I spent quite a lot of time What's in Exeter. Like? I, 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 I loved Exeter. Exeter I, I, loved, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was as good as jail could be. I was probably, yeah. Yeah. That's proper. It looked like porridge. I mean, the windows. Guys yeah, just I just shout out the windows. It's really, really, yeah, past. that's right, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, but as prisons go, it's probably the most, uh, I wouldn't say comfy, cushy, but for a B-cat, local, it probably is the, mm. the, the comfiest one that I've ever been in. That I found um, wasn't it too strenuous, if you know what I mean. It's like, 
you could uh, survive pretty and live a good um, sort of um, quality life here. Have hmm. you had like contacts and everything else with corruption, with staff and things like that? So no beefs or dramas in that one. No, it wasn't until till I um, actually got my big sentence for my PP sentence that the, the dramas really began. What was the build up to the big sentence? Well, it was a same again. This guy had been sweeping me. This locals girlfriend. This guy I used to hang around with a friend. This scouse lad, and it seemed to be a common theme amongst them. He like. When, they, when they, um, certain people went to prison and that, they would start trying to um, sleep with their girlfriends and everything else, get them addicted to cocaine and just abuse the whole situation, which I never agreed with. That. And that, because it happened to me at such an early age, I was always against that sort of thing because you'd never know what it's like to lie in a cell wondering what your, your girlfriend, especially if you had kids and all that with them. It's like, it's a psychological minefield. So, um, and this was when it was over. And I'd had a fight with this guy outside a pub, and it was just every time I met the guy or encountered him, there would be some sort of violent, um, resulting in some sort of violence between the two of us. Do you know what I mean? And all because I stood up for my mate, who I thought was my mate when they weren't really my mate, if you know what I mean. So, like, and that was the build up, it was like a five year tit for tat. And one day, my, my ex partner was supposed to bring my daughter around, and uh, I, I went out and bought loads of this. With cheap toys and all that at the time because I wasn't really doing anything at the time. Um, I had like, got loads of stuff and all that already. I'd, I'd been waiting weeks you know, for the opportunity and that, and she never turned up on this day. So I went up uh, the hall with this girl that I knew watching the powerboat racing on Plymouth Hall. And uh, f- for absolutely no reason whatsoever, the guy kicked me in the face when I was sitting watching the boats on the thing, me from the side. This is my victim. And I, I don't. I don't uh, condone what I've what done to him and I don't justify it in any way, shape or form. And to me, it's learned behaviour. That's how I learned to resolve matters growing up in Scotland by de- becoming desensitised toward violence and like knife crime. The, but as soon as I become outnumbered, I reach. I used to reach in the kitchen drawer and that's what <coughs> happened that day, which resulted in him being stabbed in the eye and everything else. Horrific injuries, punctured lung and like, do you know what I mean? I took all the bad things that was going on in my life out in that guy. And he, he never deserved all that. Do you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm horrified even to this day because obviously I knew his ex-partner, his daughters, he knew my family. And like, do you know what I mean? It should never ever have came to that. And like, and I'm just gutted that it did. Do you know what I mean? How were you arrested? I was arrested eating cheesy chips, coming out of the chip shop. And I've never ever since that day ate cheesy chips because <laughs> I got my face pushed. It was the height of summer in Devon, as you know, it's really, really hot. And the smell of vinegar on the, when they're rubbing my face and the stones in the ground has completely put me off uh, cheesy chips with brown sauce. Mm. And, uh, and that's, that's how I was arrested, eating cheesy chips, coming out of the chippy. And what happened? Where did they take you? They took me to Charles Cross Police Station in Plymouth, where I admitted straight away what had happened and everything else. And uh, obviously, I'd done two years in remand in Exeter, resulting in me with a two and a half, two year, 301 day IPPs, imprisonment for the public protection, which I did 16 and a half years of that sentence. 
What was it like the first year? The first year, like two years, I was on remand and, it, and I kind of uh, thought, right, if, if I get a, even a seven or a ten, I think I could do, I could do a ten and like, do you know what I mean? Anything less is a bonus and all that and that's the kind of things that help you sleep at night. You become, do you know what I mean? Oh, even if I get that, it's easy. And I used to date in stages of six months, so one block. So six months is a block, as you know. You could, you could do like ten, six months. There's your, do you know what I mean? And like, and that's how you do it. That's how you you, you think me in your mind. I was telling myself, I'll be asleep for yeah. a third of it. So that takes a couple yeah. of years. That's, what I mean. that's, that's exactly how, how you cope with that. Mate. Yeah, you yeah. just then it becomes oh well, even if it's a, a seven or a as we a pine chips in Scotland's a six, and like even as a pine chips, I would that'd be easy. And that's only if, um, it was a. Uh, we only did half, you know what I mean? But with the IPP, I never really knew much about. I was like one of the pioneer cases in that sense. So you, you didn't know when you were coming out? No, well, because nobody really knew what it was at the time. Mm. So when they say, right, I sentence you, it's in the paper, well, I've read the paper, it's in the paper, it says, Derek Johnson, a risk to the public, and there's a picture of me. And this is when you know you've made it in the criminal fraternity, when underneath your caption says, women sees off bag snatcher. That's where you know you've made it in the criminal fraternity. Mm-hmm. If you're up above a bag snatcher <laughs> with your picture saying you're arrested public, mm-hmm. getting a two and a half year IPP and having to spend 16 and a half year because nobody knew what on earth they were doing. Yeah. So it's an indeterminate sentence. Mm. So it's like 99 years. It could be It could be three years. It could be 30 years. So it's like having to adjust to all that. And first... Did you tell yourself it's going to be less? Well, I was listening to everybody around about me and I should never have done because they built my hopes up. In some years, I would get an answer through the post as if I'd lost a competition or something. Like, unfortunately, you've not got it this year, but better luck next time sort of thing. And I'm thinking, well, why am I not even getting to see the pro board? Because I went and done what I told, said to you earlier on about the Kobayashi Maru, which is the Spock's unwinnable scenario from the first new Star Trek, which is... <laughs> There is no right or wrong answer. So they can perceive what I'm telling them, especially with my Glasgow accent and how I look, and just mould me into whatever category they want to mould me into, and that's what they did. And I, and I played right into their hands because I was frustrated and I misconstrued my frustrations, aggression, because I'm Scottish and I'm big. I got, oh, look, there he goes again. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And, like, elaborating and exaggerating my, my reports, fluffing them up, and it, it justifies keeping me in that length of time. Do you know what I mean? Because to them, it's a financial gain. It's got nothing to do with your risk whatsoever. A lot of money being made of high quality prisoners. Of course it is. And they're getting, what, 20 grand a year more than what they get for a normal prisoner. Which is about 60 so grand, So the, the demand yeah. for the people to get IPPs, I think, it's a commodity. That's exactly what it is. You're just a human commodity. You're a cash cartridge, that's all you are. It's political, mate. It's got nothing to do with like, what you're doing or what people are saying you're doing. And like f- these guys are still in there doing that. And I swear to God, I don't, I don't know how on earth... They sleep at night. How on earth I managed to cope with it. And I'd, I, I won't lie to you, I just used to take drugs and get out of my nut. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Sorry. Everywhere. Because where, where were you sentencing? You were in Monday next to I went to Gartree in Leicester, which is a first stage wife with Scrubs, Cardiff, um, Blakenhurst, uh, Durham, Scotland... Done four years of my sentence in Scotland, had a fight in the Scottish jail, got, it was a breach of 
my cross-border transfer, which is a, a non-time restricted transfer, so I could go there for any time, length of time as they see fit, because I would get visits in Scotland, and I never, I think I went 10 years without a visit in England. You know what I mean? All in. Because you pled guilty then, did you not have to have a trial? No. Because um, obviously you're supposed to get maximum credit, so I would have got seven years. But so you get, you get 30, what is it, maximum credit? So you get a third off, say, that took you to a five, with whatever remand time is like, took it to two years, 301 day, whatever it worked out as. That's what my tariff was, two years, 301 days. So the first few years then you were just, it was plain sailing, was it? For a few years, because I thought, aye, right, everything's going according to plan, this, that, and the next thing. Then when I'd done this PCLR here, 2003, psychopathy test, I seen me, uh, nobody told me what this entailed. Nobody told me what, explained to me in depth what I was actually doing or participating in. I thought it was just an interview. And, oh, don't mind the camera in the corner. And I'm thinking, well, why are you, why are you recording this? Sorry, what is this? Well, this is it's it's a psychopathy test to see um, if you have uh, certain psychopathic traits, and um, like it all comes from America. This is all like FBI uh, profiling sort of malarkey, and this is meant to be an independent uh, examination conducted by the governor's wife, who the governor of the prison. So I fail to see where the independent part is. Because it's there in their interest to get bums on seats in this jail because it's a first stage wife for Garthree. It's a B cat. Do you know what I mean? So it's. And this is where you're, you get the CSCP, Cognitive Self Change Programme, which had a three year waiting list and took 18 months to actually complete. So there's four and a half years straight away before I even get my C cat. So if, if that was the case, I'm looking at doing 12, 15 years before I even eligible to go to an open prison at a two and a half year tariff. So it was taking me minimum 10 years to do the coursework on a sentence that I'd only been given two years, 301 days. Wow. So you said earlier that things started to kick off in this sentence. Well, I Because I just gave up hope. And what, like, how many years in did you give up hope? Oh, I must have been, what? I'd say about eight when I just started thinking, do you know what, what's the point? What, in your 30s by then? Yeah, because I started seeing it for what it really was, especially in the northwest England, where the corruption and, like, and how blatantly corrupt it was. Because, see, in England, in prison, there's subtle differences, whereas in Scotland, you want to get away with that. Like, um, down here, they put all the big lads on, like, the survey or cleaning jobs and that to, like, help the staff subdue the wing if like, do you know what I mean, as some sort of deterrent, because like, do you know what I mean, but like bully boy tactics and what they'll do is come and threaten you on the behalf of the staff, whereas in Scotland, that's, you could never get away with doing that, you would never get away with doing that, something bad would happen to you if you ever done that for for an officer against another prisoner, but down here, people date to curry favours, so it, then <laughs> they start progressing off the back of weaker prisoners, or prisoners that are unruly and like, do you know what I mean, so like, and that that was seemingly happened. I was I was clashing with a lot of prisoners because of that. Because I come from like a, an area where that wouldn't be allowed, and like I didn't know that was the rules of engagement down here. Whereas and that is little things like that I kept I kept getting stuck on. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, I was getting me into quite a lot of trouble, and corrupt 
corrupt officers who were putting in reports on me were getting sacked for having the um, illicit affairs with prisoners and the report's still standing on my parole hearings. Illicit affairs? Yeah, with sexual affairs with prisoners, getting caught red-handed. But what, women, guards, yeah, male... Yeah, and, um, and the report's still standing on my parole, even though they've been caught blatantly doing that, drink, bringing drugs in, blatantly lying, getting caught, and still they st- their report stood in my parole hearings for four years after. Do you know what I mean? And, and I'm thinking... Oh, why is nobody doing anything about this? And and isn't it just uh, privy to me, right? It's, it seems to be commonplace down here quite a lot. And like, uh, they just tend to brush it under the carpet, the pro board, or trying to what, defing me a bit. And it's, I don't know how on earth I managed to get through that, to be honest. I don't know. So when did you first notice a woman officer? Well, it's common knowledge. It's common knowledge. Once you get to a certain point and certain in a certain relationship with certain prisoners, they start to talk, whether it's through jealousy or just bitchiness because they had to pay the bill or whatever else. They start to talk. And before you know it, you know exactly what's going on in every wee f- aspect of that institute, no matter where it is. Do, did you have an encounter with a female officer? I never, no, no. no. Although I get married in prison, never ever with a female officer, no. Because I hated them that much because it, what I'd seen happen and what mm. had happened to me. I, it, it completely turned me against them honest to god it was I just looked as if I was going to do a long 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 time in jail and it was nothing ever going to change that because of how corrupt it was and how they were getting away with it and that's what amazed me how they got away with it what's getting married in prison like? do you know what it, it was it was um, it kept me going did you get a conjugal visit? no no it gave me hope and I'm glad I done it. Even though I'm getting divorced now, I'm glad I done it because it saved me. Could you describe but, it? Yeah, I mean, it how just, did you meet her? First? Well, I was banged up with her, her sister's husband, who um, was from the borough, and um, his, his his wife's a mental health nurse, and my my wife's other sister is a teacher and scam. She's a, a an English teacher and a history teacher, and my wife's a hairdresser, and uh, she survived ovarian cancer for the second time. And this is what annoyed me about the corruption because this lady officer was blaming me and my wife for bringing drugs in, and my wife would never. She just survived cancer for the second time. She would never ever bring anything in any jail, and she was mortified when this came out at a parole hearing. And I swear to God, I. I a hard-working family it's worked all their lives and just because she spoke with a Scouse accent they thought we were fair game because I was not from down here and they thought well let's just stereotype a wee bit further we Scouse wife and they that's what they try to do they try to they, they never try to do they did do they had my own clothes for a year and I never ever took a thing into any prison anywhere and they accused my wife had survived cancer for the second time and put us through the most horrific... It's a wonder. It's no wonder we are getting divorced, to be honest. Because what they put us through, it was, it was unforgivable. What they were, what they were doing is they had his own clothes visits for a year and never been caught with anything, never failed any drug test, nothing that was off from this one female officer. And even after she got sacked, the, her reports still stood on my parole hearing. Even to this day, 
I've got parole dossiers with her parole, her reports still in that. She, no was, she was the one probably bringing the drugs she in. She was the one yeah. bringing them in. Everybody, it was common knowledge, she was the one bringing it in. And it took for a one chance uh, spin in Foncross Prison for it all to come to light. They found the iPhone with her on it. With a certain prisoner, she was having an affair with how he got to Fong Cross. Is anyone's guess? Because he was only like a couple of, what, 18 months into a big, well, can, what I consider like a seven year sentence or something. He was already in DCAT. Do you know what I mean? And like, and I was getting used as a fall guy. I was being used, well, somebody's got deflecting, deflection has to go with somebody else. And it was deflected onto me because I'm not from down here. So you just think, oh, this guy, there's a Scottish guy here with this guy's wife. I will throw it on his toes, and that's what they've done. Do you know what I mean? How, how many people are present at a prison wedding? Uh, there was me and my big mate from Salford, who's my best man, her daughter. Um, I c- you would have to pay £95 a head, up to six, and that's three on each side, bride and groom. Um, what room is it in? It's in the visit room, Lancaster Farms. It was. Um, I had to pay for the screws' wages for an hour. The screws in attendance, um, I think it came out about nearly a thousand pounds. All in, and they they did provide the cake. It was like a free tier cake. Cheaper than weddings outside of prison. <laughs> but do you know what? <laughs> it, as I say to you, it really gave me hope when I when I never had was any. It, did you enjoy the day? Yeah, I enjoyed it, and it came. I wanted to get married. My mum my mom was dying at the time and she died the following week and I'm glad she got to see me get married before she did die. Mm. And that was a contributing factor as well, do you know what I mean? And I'm glad she got to see me get married before she died the following week. She never got to see me get released straight enough, but she did get to see me get married, which I was thankful for. And, uh, and the staff and all that, and that, that prison, were, they were good as gold, honest to God, I'm not... And I try not to tell everybody, it's hard to differentiate when you see that uniform, mate. But I would like to say that they weren't, they were nothing like that in Lancaster Farms. They were more humane, they were more, um, they try to work with you rather than, do you know what I mean, condemn you and like things like that. So on a wedding day, can you like hug and kiss? Yeah, 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 yeah. But the thing, this was a kicker. This is how I actually got on it. It was a guy from Salford who told me about it. If you do get married, you get a four-hour visit six weeks previous to the wedding with just you and your wife in the chapel in Lancaster Farms Prison. So that kind of made me want to get married, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> did Which, it happen? Yeah, it did happen, yeah. And that's that's kind of... Um, the reason why we got married, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, you were left alone in the Yeah, chapel. for four hours. Oh my god. So, <laughs> but obviously, I never knew we'd be left alone, but we were. And that's kind of, I don't know if, it, if that's the kind of agreement and that's what, why you pay the money, the thousand pounds, I don't know. Oh. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'd love to sit here and bad mouth uh, no. my wife at, at the time, or at the moment, but I couldn't say one bad word about that woman. She was brilliant and she gave me hope when I never had, had any. You know what I mean? So you said eight years in, your frustration transferred into violence? Aye. I just gave up. Who, so who, like, who did you um, kick off with? Well, I used to growl at people who just thought they were something special and the bullies and I hated bullies. I was sure to despise them. And three days after I buried my mother, I had like, a run-in in a prison where... And after I had the disagreement, I went back to my cell and about 10 minutes later, a guy from Newcastle with one eye came to my door and he went, have you got a, 
I read some of the other day, I went, oh, I forget what I yeah, I've turned my back and he threw a roasting hot jug water over my back. And I've turned round and there's a guy stood there with a table leg and another guy with a big rusty blade, like about that big. And see, because my mother died, I just snapped and went crazy, Sean. And I ended up running out. I chased him. I'm not running him, clean out, mate. I was that uh, thing, mate, with grief. That I didn't even feel the hot water, mate. And all it did was make me snap and end up locking a cell in a cell and all that sort of did. And, I, and when they opened the door, I'm saying, open that fucking door. They went there, I just went crazy after that. And that was it. I just switched. And it probably cost me about another four or five years in jail, mate. Because it was coming back for that, do you know what I mean? It's like, and that was it. After that, they just un, it just unfolded. After that, because I'd already done double my tariff, over tariff, and like, I didn't see me. Be, you keep your head down, and you don't see me get anywhere for it because it's corrupt, mate. It's got no bearing on your risk whatsoever. It's what they're writing, and do you know what I mean, mate? I just gave up. Why did the guy check hot water over you? Because the guy I was having an argument with proceeded to put a contract on me for whatever. A wee bit of fish. It's completely ruined the system, Sean. It's a wee bit of fish, say £200 worth, is enough to get three prisoners to come in with table legs, one with a knife, one with a jug of roast and hot water. They must have thought I was going to curl into a ball or whatever and they could do done what they want, but obviously... That never happened, so... Did they come at you again, or was that over? No, 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 I just took it to them then, which resulted in two of them going on protection, and they'll on the spot find them. I says, you pay me such and such, till I say otherwise. And one was on, like, uh, tablets that was take, happened to be taken at the time, and I've just said, right, you get... But they ended up going on protection and that, because they couldn't keep up with the payments, and I couldn't get enough drugs... Couldn't get my hands on enough at that time. The guy had paid him, was he still after you? He took the payment back off them because obviously it never went the way he paid them. So um, it was taken back off them, the payment. So was there ongoing beef with you and him? Well, it was just general with everybody. Have you, have you ever seen the film uh, Jeremiah Johnson, Robert Redford? Mm-mm. No? Well, he, he's like uh, The Revenant. Have you ever seen The Revenant? Oh, yeah. Well, every yeah. day you had to fight an Indian... No, it was like that. Like three, four times a week, you'd have to fight an Indian. Which you'd, they would just come take pot shots, you wouldn't know what direction it came from. But that's just because I just gave up, mate. Do you know what I mean? I was cheeky to everybody and I didn't, I didn't really give a fuck, mate. How long did that go on for? See, about two and a half year, maybe three years. Yeah. Did you I mean? see any juggins in this time? Uh, loads. Loads of juggins. Uh, that's just commonplace. It's just, do you know what I mean? It's like, that's the... Um, it's just became accepted. As I say the spice completely, it's ruined the system. It's absolutely ruined it. It's said, uh, we've committed this false economy, run on whatever it is. Four people died with it in Weimar when I was there. With cockroach killer, uh, alloy wheel cleaner. That's what they're smoking on bits of paper and they're charging £50 for a, a bit like that. They've just created this false economy and it's rife and they're just ruining people and what ruining lives do you know what I mean but that's it's just a struggle once you're in the places it's, it's hard to get back out hard mate it is really hard and I struggled I did struggle mate so so were any of the juggings up there with the man who got his eye blasted out or the face peeled off mm. did you see someone's face melt off no I did in the places like Gartree and that yeah when they do it with the, the, the gay and that 
on the quality street tin, you what? can put vegetable or uh, olive oil in it. Then you heat it up under the grill till it's spitting hot fat. And that's what they would do then. They would throw it in uh, somebody's face. I seen um, this guy, uh, he came from another prison. He came for dispersal. Big, big bully guy. Um, when he was in a bath, somebody got an, an extension, got a toaster. When he was in the bath, they threw the toaster in the bath, but left the extension there unplugged as a warning. This is an older guy from Glasgow, you might have heard of him. And then, um, as a warning, so when the guy jumped to the bath, he's went, ah, he's screaming and that, because he thought somebody tried to get electrocute yeah, him. Yeah. But he was left unplug- unplugged as a warning to him. The next day, he was moved off. This is what happens to bullies in dispersal. They get a warning, and it's usually quite a, a stern warning. Mm-hmm. And if they don't take heed, then you're not round any wee guys that are doing stupid wee sentences. You're wee guys, some serious, serious guys that wouldn't fight twice are killing you. And that's the kind of things that were happening, do you know what I mean? Have you ever seen anyone ignore a warning? Well, I did die, and it resulted in his budgie getting killed while he was at the gym. Uh, we'll come back to the gym, and um, what he would do is, you need to remember, these guys have been in these places 15, 20 years, and they like it quiet, they like it how they like it. And these guys come for these jails, and it's all rap music. It's 8 o'clock in the morning, they're doing pull-ups on the bars, and these guys... I've been here 20 years. What are you doing? It's a breach of the peace to them. So, like, we're at the gym, and I remember this day, because I came back, I remember the guy, well, Ruben, his name was, and I'm like, oh, yeah, man, I can smell burning. I've went back, I've gone back to the section. Sure enough, when he's been at the gym, they've, you keep, they had a big aviary in the, the jail, and, like, for, I think the budget was, like, £30. For £100, you got the cage, you got the trill, you get everything for the budget and all that, a wee mirror and all that for the budget. And, um <laughs> When we came back for the gym, um, I'm like, I can smell burning. Sure enough, they 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 bombed them out with baby oil, and it's quite a flammable, flammable liquid if you get it in the right thing. With baby oil, and they've, what they've done is, more or less, bombed oil, bombed his cell, killed the budgie, and obliterated everything that he possessed. And obviously, being a lifer, you know, it's quite all his paperwork. Everything went, and he's running up and down, oh, burnt my cell. And I've just seen these two old guys from London look at giving each other a look and I knew fine well they'd done it because of the noise aspect. It had nothing to do with how he was running about with his big chest puffed out and that. I knew fine well that they'd done it. And I just laughed to myself because that's what happens when you're like that. You can't be like that. You need to remember some people are in there by accident. They're not like villains. They're not, they've just, certain things have happened in their lives and found themselves doing like a long time. And, do you know what I mean? So like, and I thought, oh, good on you, you know what I mean? I thought that was brilliant, I thought it was, it was a lesson, but I don't think many people caught on to who it was, but I did. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because i just seen them with the look they gave them, and I knew fine well that it was the two guys that done it from South London. Brilliant it was. What about high-profile cases, um, big, um, big names, serial killers, anything like that? No, well, obviously I've seen a few about, i seen Kenny and Oi about, uh, uh, who else? I was good. On on the out, I was good pals with Jerry Collin, the girl from four, bomber. Then they the film, the name of the father, Daniel Day Lewis. Played him in the film. That wee Jerry was my mate. He's dead now, Jerry. I used to serve him up in Plymouth, Coke. He's dead, died to a heart attack. Um I'm trying to think, man. Apart from Scottish prisons. I know quite a few of the lads up there, yeah, I know most of them, most of the guys. 
But uh, man, no really in this country, apart from like, as I say, used to play badminton that with Kenny, Kenny Roy, you know. Do you know what I mean? He's quite a good bouncing player. So, have you got any more memorable moments from prison? Uh, I think getting married was one, and I thought, do you know what? And I managed to take. I was in a brick lane at the time. I was a, I'm a mentor. I'm a brickware by trade, so they let me take the bottom tier of the cake in for the lads, the Salford lads, and the Scouse lads, who are predominantly that's who I hang around me in prison. Is either Scousers or lads from Manchester, and like, and I was glad of that because, um, plus, I will, I've grown quite close to these lads, you know what I mean? So I was glad to be able to take something in that money couldn't buy, like a bit of wedding cake, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, aye, that was memorable, I suppose. So, like you said, you went through a period of wars. Yeah. What made you calm down from that? Do you know about me? I think it was just a journey, it was a self journey with me because I reached a point where I couldn't go any further, mate. And that's, it's, it's, what do you do? Do you just keep doing the same things and expect with that life, that life tariff, knowing fine well it's just going to go up, 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 it's not going down any, considering the low tariff that I did get in the, in the 16 and a half year that I did do, it's, it's down to the individual, mate, and that's the truth. It's no, um, you can always be that, everybody has a role within their own social circle, you can always be that person in your social circle, but you're never going to get anywhere, mate. You're never going to progress, either in yourself or in your sentence. And I needed I, I needed to change, mate. I needed to change, but it means taking a lot of shit off a lot of people. You know fine well you'd wipe the floor away, but it's just, it's no matter of that anymore, mate. It's just, it's a matter of how much... You want to go in your own life, and just you need to just take a step back for the, like, the criminal life. And like, if you want to get, get on with your own life, that's it's the only way that I I knew how to do it, and it seems to work. It's worked for me. Do you know what I mean? There's always an endless amount of dickheads, isn't there? Everywhere you go, mate, and you wouldn't believe, man, the shit I've had to take off people, and I think I just don't know how I, I had to take it. And like at first, I would just focus on something. And just keep walking in that direction. You see, the more I get used to doing that, the easier it became to do, mate. And see, now I, I just kind of care less what, how anybody views me. I just want to, people to realise what it's like when you pick that knife up. It's there's no glamour in it. There's no glamour in crime, and there's and there shouldn't be either, Sean. And I think what, what I said earlier about the rap music and influence and that on the people. And I'm not saying it's all like that. But I'm seeing it, it, it go, tries to glamorise it, and it, there ain't no glamour in it when you're lying, doing a full life sentence, or you have to end up in a mental institution, or you end up taking your own life, Sean, which is too common nowadays, isn't it? Absolutely. So is it after your release, the fly tipping story? The fly tipping's before I went mm. away on that one. That was, as I said, um, that happened to a, a mate of mine. He, said, he wanted me to go to work with him, and I went on to a traveller site in Glasgow, uh, sorry, Plymouth and mm. Chelsea Meadow it was. And the first day, somebody slashed all the tyres in his van. So I went away and got a diamond jack and a wheel brace. And as I've come back in the car park, this gypsy's got him over the, the bonnet. So I've said to the guy, mate, fucking let him go and I'm going to smash the airline up with us. And he went, oh, my dad's Scottish, isn't it? And that's what started <laughs> me. And uh, I had my own business after that in the Yellow Pages. <clears throat> waste disposal, household waste. And what we would do is... <laughs> 
We'd go down places like Newton Ferris, you know where Newton Ferris is? Yeah. And fly tip it all when the tide <laughs> when the tide was in. So when the tide went out, it took all the rubbish out to see it. <laughs> and that's what we we're doing. We were reversing down the slipway. And and we actually knocked down a part of the old English heritage in Plimpton. It was like this wall had been there for nearly a thousand years or something. And one day we've turned up and by accident knocked in about ten gardens on this specific day and um it must have been oh, nearly a million pounds worth of damage. It's got to have been a million pounds, even back then. It was like people, there, was, there must have only be like 10 people in the world that could build this again. And then that kind of damage, you know what I mean? And that's, and that's, that's what um, that chapter was about. Me trying to become legit, but like half arsing it up. Sean, <laughs> but having a, having a laugh with it at the same time, mate. No, trying to take myself too seriously, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, as, so as, did you get caught for it? No, I never get caught for that actually. But it it was just a, a lot of funny wee stories involved in that, do you know what I mean? Like what we were doing and the old Anderson bomb shelters, which were asbestos, the ones that you had mm. to get in your own back garden and construct yourself. Wait, it looks like uh, corrugated iron, but it isn't, it's actually asbestos. And they uh, were kicking out in the landfill, I don't know it's asbestos. So the guy's actually fell out the JCB, he couldn't get it open quick enough. He's nearly fell out the door, trying to get out that door. As soon as he seen me, he went, Oi, he says, What? I says, What? He went, That's fucking asbestos. I went, What's the fuck's asbestos? I didn't know what it was, Sean. No. Do you know what I mean? I'm throwing it in landfill and I had been for months, mate. Do you know what I mean? An 800 pound a ton, that was to tip. Did none of it stick you know, to your skin? I don't even know. I don't even know to this day. It's just <laughs> everything I've just seen. I'm just thinking of the money aspect, no thinking of the danger or anything like that. <laughs> Obviously, now I get a. I'm quite an environmentalist now. And like, <laughs> yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I see all this plastic things on, like, in the sea and all that, and it really fingers me with the polar ice caps and all that. It's like. it's too, And I even switch his sockets off at night and all that. And I unplug things, you know what I mean? Where years ago it wouldn't bother me, but now it seems to have some sort of social conscience. <laughs> I find as you get older, you become more uh, more aware. Don't yeah, you? more. Um, do you know what I mean? When you're younger, you know, you're chucking McDonald's mm, bags out I mean. your car in the car, and you're not, you're not asked, yeah. are you? Because you think, ah, oh, well, I've got all the time in the world. So you never knew when you were going to get out. No. So every year you go in and thinking you might get out. What describe that as it gets towards the last few years? Do you know what, mate? Then you start, people, you don't realise it yourself. It's other people say, well, what's up with you and all that? And you're thinking, what do you mean what's up with me? You think fucking up with me, a fucking IPP. You're fucking... And you start using it as an excuse for everything, Sean. And every time you're in that parole window, for some reason or other, you become more irritable. And like, staff have even been trained to deal with it now because when you're in that parole window, especially IPPs, mate, everything magnifies, mate, and it fucking... And to me, it's like it's designed for that, so you don't fucking get out, mate. And it's and it's as simple. It's as hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, Sean. Ever, ever had to do, mate. And I don't know how I done it, mate. I don't. So what and, was it like facing the final parole? Um, even when you, everybody's saying, "Well, I would recommend you don't trust them at the end of it, mate." And this is what it's about. It's you, you always trust for everybody. You just give up hope. You think everybody's just lying to you, try to humour you, try to placate you, and secretly they're writing shit on your scene almost because of what happened with this female officer. It took me a long time to, t- like, 
trust in uh, staff and that again. And I think once you lose that trust, you never ever fully get that back. And it's a wonder that I was still what, being pleasant to prison officers after being subjected to that because I seen what it put my way through then. And that woman did not deserve any of mm. that, mate. After being a cancer survivor for two years, uh, twice, sorry, and them saying that mean the allegations and that against her, Sean, then losing my mother, then, do you know what I mean? It was just, mate, I was fighting a losing battle. But I'm not saying everybody's bad in the prison system because they ain't, mate, they ain't all bad. But for what I encountered, mate, it was the majority bad. Take us through your last hearing then. Mm. My last hearing was like, I just went above and beyond. Um, I try to uh, make sure as if double insurance, like, so I was volunteering for course here, I didn't need to do it, mate. So, like, but that was too late. By the time my pro came, that I could explain it to the pro board that, um, uh, what do you call it? I used instrumental violence to scare people for, and I used physical violence to, to make, financial gain and everything else. I used instrumental violence to threaten people and control people and explain how you... But this is... You don't need to prove that... They don't need to prove that you're a risk. You need to prove that you're not a risk. You need to do that. They don't need to do that. And that's your responsibility. And that's, that's where I get stuck years and years. I'm like, well, where's your fucking evidence? Do you know what I mean? But that's where you get stuck, Sean. You need to, you need to prove that you no longer pose a threat. You, it's done to you, mate to do that they don't have to do it they don't have to prove that you're a threat mate they can still justify keeping you in because they'll think oh well he's just kidding on so I'm sure anybody can pull the wheel over their eyes for like 18 months and pro boards have told me that I'm sure I'm sure that people can do that <coughs> to try and pull the wheel over their eyes and like so you need to prove mate believe me I've had snooker just snapped off my face and all that in the last few years when I'm fighting with like six, seven guys myself it's snooker tables because I'm not from down here, Sean. So like, everywhere I go, I'm constantly, I'm on my own. So if I'm not using a weapon, mate, I have to like be as, as twice as ruthless with my hands or whatever by any means necessary. And I'm getting snooker just snapped over my face, over the back of my head, stabbed in the back, and all that. While the staff just sit there and watch. You know what I mean? Because they're rocked and they because they just pay somebody to shut the staff up. So like. Do you know what I mean? So what are they going to do? They're not going to do anything, put their necks on the line for the likes of me. Do you know what I mean? It's got all that history and violence. So you're just left here. So it's down to you as a person to do that, mate. You, you can't rely on these people. You have to do it yourself. And we go ahead and going to pay for it, mate. We go, if you don't have any money in this country, mate, you're up against it, Sean. So yeah. So in the hearing then, can you describe what, what is it like a room and a panel of people or what? It's three people, but the last one was like a mad sci-fi hearing. It's like it's done all because of the COVID. Oh yeah. So uh, it's done on screen and all that, and it's like wait a minute, man, this is this is actually happening here. So it's only you and your solicitor in one room with all these people, but they're at their own homes. So like they're sitting in their bedrooms, your probation. <laughs> so I mean, and like. And you don't get, don't get me wrong, I knew that everybody was recommending it, but see, hearing it and seeing it is two different things, mate. I've heard it for so long, I just used to take, aye, whatever. And that, that's, that was my attitude, and I just kept using it anyway. I was failing drug tests, left, right and centre. And even I did in the last one, I went, listen, man, what did you expect? I said, for years, I've just kept me in jail. 
saying this, that and the next thing. And I've, every time I offer parole, it's, I just struggle because I've been let down that many times, mate. You just, you could be the best, best behaviour, but it's it's no doing to that, Sean. It's got nothing to do with your risk, mate. IPP. It's, it's not what you're doing, it's what they're saying you're doing, mate. And that, that's what I noticed. What did they ask you? Well, they just asked it, how I thought I changed, how... Um, <coughs> do you remember what you re- how you responded to that? Well, I just said... That Is it generic? It doesn't mean... I don't care what people think about me anymore. Whereas back in the day, I would like, you fucking talking to Oh, such and such and blah, blah, blah. Because I had this persona and all that, this warped view of myself. This is how I should be perceived and all that. And like, do you know what I mean? And like, Sean, it ain't worth it, mate. It ain't worth, look, no seeing your kids for 16 years. It ain't worth it, mate. No, I'm a granddad now. I've never seen my granddaughter. Mm. Do you know what I mean, mate? No, it ain't worth it, mate. No chance. If I would have known that, mate, I would never have picked that knife up. Never. What other stuff did they ask you? Um, what my plans would be. Um, how would how would I react? And like they come up with these scenarios, mate. Yeah, like, they're... like they're trying to predict the future, sort of thing. And I'm thinking, how the fuck would give you the thought to say of if such and such happens, then I'd I'd, I'd do that shit the next thing. When I've never been violent in the last ten years, apart from being a victim of violence. I have not been charged with assaulting any other prisoner for the last 10 years of my sentence. I'm not in for taking drugs, Sean. I'm in for violence, mate. So taking drugs is... Because I'm used to being in prison before there was TVs and all that. All you had was drugs. So I associate prison with drugs. Do you know what I mean? So, like... Mate, it's a scam, mate. So when they made the decision... I'll get it through the post. Well, I was... When I got it, they kept sending me to decant, right? And me and decants, we didn't, because the drugs were even cheaper, and the drugs, drugs that I couldn't get, I was now available to me. And um, do you know what I mean? And the uh, thingy, would you be caught? So I just frustrated through the cracks straight away. Do you know what I mean? So they ended up saying, well, that that is no longer an, an option for me. So they took, totally took that off the table. It was no longer a question that I could go to decant, so I became banned. So the only thing I could go for was release or nothing. So You actually got banned from decant? Yeah, I got banned from decant, aye. So it took me 10 years. I went four times, never got out once. Not once. And I've been four times to open prison. With that final hearing, did you have a good feeling about it? As I say, mate, I went above and beyond. I went and I put myself out there. And just started, we started running our own groups. We started um, doing things on the wing in our spare time for the guys, like the weaker prisoners and the guys that were struggling with the drugs. And we, were, we took it responsibility for our own, our own landings because nobody else was doing it, Sean. Staff only doing it. There's no such things I do to care in prison, mate. It's, I don't know if it's cutbacks or whatever else, mate. It's just, we just took it upon ourselves today and like, that started becoming a, a bit more uh, prominent that we were doing our own courses. Um, po- no policing our own wings, but we're keeping an eye on our other lads and what, that's what we were doing. Struggling because we're having a lot of suicides, a lot of drug deaths. And it's, mate, there's nothing worse when you're, um, when you see somebody dying in front of you, mate, and the staff are over there laughing, mate, because he's, he's just died with his spice. And the staff are all laughing like that, serves them fucking right and all that. And that's the comp. These are the people who might be looking after you, mate. And they're laughing that. And then 
Do you know what I mean? How close were you to the person who died? Well, I'll try to save his life. The nurse ran away and left the bag here. She left the medical bag. She ran through the gate. I had to pick a medical bag, run after her. She never had a clue what she was doing, mate. This is privatisation for you. So I'm sitting John's ambulance trains. I pushed her out of the way, scooped all the stick out of his mouth, put him on recovery, started giving him mouth to mouth and that, but I couldn't bring him back, mate. And now his sister and his ma baked me a cake, you know, I think it was banana bread or something, and came into jail and I had to pretend that I knew the guy and I didn't really know him, Sean. And they're like, oh, you're Sean's mate. And I'm like, the guy was Sean, he was, he was a scouse guy. And I went, aye, that's my mate and that. I was a, he was a really lovely boy and that. He'd only been back for the visit for half an hour and he was dead, mate, from from seeing the two of them. Within 30 minutes, he was lying dead, mate, in his cell. Dead. And do you know what I mean? And these people standing about laughing, mate, and I'm thinking, right, aye, we can, we can become desensitised to your environment, but where do you draw the line, mate? Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's one that really stuck with me, that one. Do you know what I mean? But it was like four or five, and the same thing on that, and that, why not, mate? It was like, it was like the Hunger Games, mate. Honestly, God, that's how bad it was, like the Hunger Games. Every time the door got open, somebody was getting bingoed, somebody was killing over, somebody was dying. Do you know what I mean? And like... So, so when you started doing positive things then, did some other prisoners have problems with that? No, but what they did, they put spotters in the meetings and I can't understand why they did that. Because a lot of people, they get into debt... Then they go to meetings and go, oh, well, I'm in debt and all that, and the next thing. And some do-gooder will try and help them, like myself. And before they know it, then they're losing money. So that they put spotters in, which it's, it's, it's accepted. Because to me, it's a form it's a form of grass, and it's still us in name, Sean. And they don't do anything to try and reduce that nowadays. And they don't um, thingy much uh, trust within... You can't even trust a member of staff, even if they do the most basic thing for you, like an application. So, like, so this is how they combat it with these drug addicts and that. They go into the meetings and that. So, what they do, they put the spotters and that. And the lads, right, people want to take drugs, that's fine. If you want to take drugs, make sure you can pay for them, everything else, that's not the next thing. It's always been accepted by whether it's a spliff, hooch, whatever it is, mate, right? So, but obviously, nobody had any problems with what we were doing because. But what we're doing is, is just trying to get guys, get them in. They reckon if you can swap your your uh, substance use with something you like, say, like going to the gym or something, then you're, you're more uh, likely to achieve that by substituting that. So, like, going to the gym, say, instead of, like, smoking a spliff or something like that. If you do it with something that you like doing, then the likelihood is you might be able to achieve that, you know what I mean? That's what I did. Oh, it's it's it's, uh, it's progression, no perfection, Sean. Do you know what I mean? Like lapsing's all part of recovery, mate. Do you know what I mean? I'm not a therapeuton, and I'm not a born again thing, mate. I'm not, but it's worked for me, mate. Do you know what I mean? So did you find reading help? Reading definitely. I must have read over a thousand books. Easy, easy. <laughs> oh, more than Sean. Do you know what I mean? But um, <laughs> uh, including your Sean, but um, oh, thanks. It just takes you out of that hole and thing, mate. But, where it was for an hour it's respite mate and it's rest and it settles your mind I think and it makes you think a lot clearer and like it's the same when you go to the gym it's the same mate you become do you know what I mean yeah because you're in a good book uh, you're there aren't you Where I, are they, I always right? remember you're reading pa- Papillon yeah. Papillon, Papillon. Oh. Seen, as soon as I read that book it changed my life yeah. and it really opened my, my, my eyes to what a book could be 
and Papillon, I thought, floating on that raft away out in the sea somewhere, escaping from Devil's Island, and that was it to me. After reading that book, like the County of Monte Cristo, with the chapters missing, it just takes you, it just takes you out of that. Totally. Even if it's for an hour or what, two hours. Yeah, never forget the lepers, <laughs> the island of lepers. That's it, help, aye, 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 you have to burn everything. Yeah, 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 that's brilliant, that was. So when you uh, were obviously found out about your release, were you planning on going out and reading the end of that book? <laughs> what, <laughs> that you know what? And, and where was it? I did come across it recently in Berwyn when I got recalled. <laughs> when I got an 18 month recall, because mm. obviously my wife went happened with my wife, and that's. I said I was struggling to adjust that, but she took it the wrong way because she'd waited all that time, Sean, and I'd, I totally understand why she did it. It's not excusing why she did it, <coughs> but and I got a recall because she made that, like, saying I'd been drinking or that, and I never was, mate. And um, I got recalled for 18 months. I went to Berwyn, North Wales, and Wrexham, and I just got released in January, so in effect, I've done 18 years out of that two-and-a-half-year sentence, mate. When you got the notification of that final hearing then that you were going to get released, how did that feel? Brilliant. Now you can keep that smile off my face, mate. I swear to God, it was like, it's plastered on there, man, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I couldn't believe it. And I used to, like, think, ah, well, we'll wait and see. You know, even though I knew I had it in black and white, I used to put the light on at night and look, look at it again, do you know what I mean? It's, so can you believe it, mate? It took so long. Were you able to that. tell your neighbours or does that cause envy? No, no, well, it, some guys... Like, especially between IPPs and long-termers, they wish you luck, mate. It's these spiteful people, the naysayers and the haters and that, that you just, they would do anything, you know, like, to buzz off your demise. And, like, I try to keep away from people like that, mate. I try and surround myself with positive people, people who are going to help me advance. And no, because depression's infectious, Sean. So I try to keep back from mm. depressed people and things like that. And, and, I mean. and when you got that notification, how long did you have to serve on that one? What do you mean, how long did I have to wait to get out? Yeah. Because of COVID hit. Yeah. I had the answer. I had to wait another five months. Oh, so I got the decision. But I had to wait another five months. Did you know it would take five months? I, no, well, I was supposed to go somewhere. Then because uh, COVID hit, the funding went directed to the NHS, which was fair enough, mate. I, I kind of took that on the chin. So to me, it was only another 20 weeks. So it was nothing, do you know what I mean, compared to where I'd been. I knew exactly when I was going home and that meant more than anything. So like, I just started staying in my cell a bit more because yeah. I didn't want anything going wrong. And that's, you know yourself, what you're like, it was the end, mate, and it? You just, you're just trying to um, sort of limit your activities then, whereas usually you would try and fill your days because you know you're... You can just take game weeks off then. Did, you, did the sense of time change in your head? Well, it does, doesn't it? Sometimes it, it went quick. It just depends what was on that week or my, my visits, whatever else. Or other times it would drag me, especially at the end. I'm thinking, oh, come on. Come on. You excited to get so out I mean, of Oh, wife. man, it was weird. It was weird. It was really surreal, man, it was. Surreal. And so now was I was living like? in Normskirk. Know what I mean? What art walking about? Orton. Tony Bellew was my neighbour. The boxer and like it was a really really nice area, mate. And I just didn't feel as if I belonged there, to be honest. But it was like I needed that space and I needed that quiet and I, I really needed that, mate. To be honest, and it done me the world a good. Do you know what I mean? How much of the world changed? Um, <coughs> wow, it's just I look at my daughter. I think I don't even recognise that wee girl. I don't even recognise my son. I just do you know what I mean? My mum's dead my aunties are dead and like all oh, my family it's just 
it wasn't worth it, Sean. That's what I'm trying to say. It just was not worth that, mate. And if people should know what it is that they're doing, mate, and should all, I, I know I, I might be a bad example, but they need to know what it is that they're putting themselves up for, mate, when they pick any nights. It's all right, fun and games, and you, your, your friends impressing the local girl or whatever else. But when push comes to shove, mate, and you use that knife, and you do a life sentence, mate, it's very rarely that you're going to come out at the end, other end, compass menace, mate. It's very rarely you're going to come out relatively sane, without suffering some sort of mental um, breakdown or and personal loss in your life, your family and like everything else, it weren't worth that, mate. No way on earth is it worth that. No way. What about technology, getting used to technology? Well, mate, I didn't know how... I had a free 310 when I was arrested, a Nokia. Mm. I had a free 10. <laughs> it had snake nice. going it. Mm. And like, obviously, thing, me. What was I like with the iPhone, mate? I was struggling. I didn't, do not know how it worked on me. I, just, I don't, still don't know Siri and all that. And like, it's just like Star Trek. Star Trek all over again, mate. I keep going back to Star Trek. Do you know what I mean? Wow. But that's what it was mm. like, man. Mm. Things that when you were a kid, you were lucky if you could write boobs on a calculator. Never mind. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or Yeah, that's it. Aye. <laughs> and now you've got all these things with all these different apps and like uh, YouTube and all that. It's, <laughs> it's amazing, mate. Isn't it amazing? So, I mean, you're out. You're with your wife. No, getting... not now. No, getting... no, you were at oh, the time. Sorry, yeah. yeah. And you're getting used to the world. Mm. How was your mental health? Do you know? Do you know what? It just I felt. She had it all prepared and planned for me. So I, it was still having a structured day, but she was now the governor, my wife. <laughs> so I, I, I've like, even though, do you know what I mean? It's like, I was under like different like social pressures then to how I don't come from like a, a family like she comes from, like a pro-social thing, mate, sort of family. I don't come from one of them. So like, to be able to adapt to that and maintain that, can maybe get away with it once or twice, try and wing it, but to maintain that constantly, being surrounded with these people, especially when I'm put in charge of a shop, a sunbed shop in Liverpool, to run, I'm thinking, well, do you know what I mean? Then it's Sunday dinner, then it's Briars Hall, one weekend, then it's, it's all these social engagements and all that, and I'm thinking, well, why? I don't, it just, it wasn't me, do you know what I mean? I was like pretending to be something that I wasn't, and I was living a lie. And a lot of, I know a lot of people aspire to that life and that, but I'm not worrying them. I'd rather try and help people that have been where I, where I was and, and do whatever I can that way. And that's what I'm trying to do now. So what's your plans with your book then? Well, that's what I'm trying to do, mate. I'm trying to see, explain it for what it is, Sean. Nothing glamorous about that, mate. Picking up weapons, hurting people, frightening people, and like, killing people. Where's the glamour in that, mate? It might sound good or look good in a rap video or a movie somewhere, but in real life, mate, when you're having to suffer and your family suffers, your victim's family suffers, it's just a lot of suffering for what? How you want to be perceived by your peers or be accepted by people. It's just, do you know what I mean? It's it's not, it's romantic. That's all it is, Sean. And it's no real life, mate. People have to realise that in real life and there's no, no glamour in it, mate. There's none whatsoever. Do you know what I mean? And that's what people have to realise. And that's I feel strong about that, mate. And if it means I'm willing to dedicate whatever time I need to, mate, in between laying bricks or whatever it is I'm going to be doing, do you know what I mean? So you're going to be campaigning aye, for the Choose, aye, choose you know a, I mean? a Life, Not a Knife campaign? Well, it's Knives Cost Lives. When I was a boy, Operation Blade and that, and Strathclyde, 
when it was Glasgow was a murder capital of Western Europe and still probably is every year and it was a, it was a title they were proud of up there which I, f- I thought was a bit twisted and thing and as the more I, I got older mate it's just what I've lost in my life it wasn't worth it Sean and I hope people can see that do you know what I mean and I hope people can realise that mate and that's all I'm trying to get across there's no glamour in it mate where's the glamour so you've got, I mean. you've, you've got this structure then for your book that we've got in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how are you finding putting the meat on the bones? Mate, I'm struggling, man. I'll be honest with you. I just, I've read, as I say, quite a lot of books, but it, it's easy to talk. I'm good. I'm a good talker, but getting it done in black and white in front of me and being able to structure it the way in chrono, chronological order or whatever else, it's hard, mate. I'm struggling with it. So you've come in here and just blown us away with your storytelling mm. ability. So you can tell your story no, I know. through, I know. through speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Have you thought about just re- recording it? I have thought about that actually. Get dictified. Yeah, I mean, it's been um, my friends have said that to do that. Do you know what I mean? You can use your iPhone these days. You can do it on there. No, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. Because sitting in front of a computer and wanting, and the typing is a brain challenge. But if you can just record it yeah. and then type it up later, you've already done it without sitting there and doing it the other way. Yeah, it's it's yeah. so ten hours of audio mm. is a is a hundred thousand word paper. Of course it is. Of course yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm usually like that anyway. With a keyboard. <laughs> yeah. I've got qwerty keyboard skills. I definitely do yeah. dictate it because you've just done two and a half hours with us, which is quarter of your book. Yeah, yeah. just is a quarter it? of your book. Oh wow, well, that's amazing! <laughs> that's amazing, mate. Brilliant, man. Well, your story, honestly, and there's just something about you. Like mm. you said, you can't live a lie. You can nah. just, just see the purity, the it's authenticity of what, of what like, you. Yeah. People only do it to. It, it makes some except what's happened in our lives a bit better. It's living that way and it helps you to get sleep at night, Sean. That's all it does in that sort of environment. That's all it does and it makes it easier to live with what you've done. Whereas now I'm, I'm like the opposite. I'm trying to be let people see what it is I've done and why I've done it. And there's, there's no justification in the world to excuse what I've done, mate. And that's what I'm trying to show people. It's, it ain't worth it. Look what I've lost. And that's what you need to realise. It's like, I'm just lucky I haven't killed anybody personally, Sean. I'm lucky, mate. And I'm lucky I'm still alive myself. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> and for so people I mean, for people watching this, then, if they want to contact you, are you on any of the socials or anything? Uh, get me on Facebook and uh, WhatsApp and all that. But so we'll put all that below the video so people can reach out to you. Brilliant, mate. No yeah, problems. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So please let us know in the comments what you thought about this. We're going to encourage Derek to get the meat on the bones for his book and, and hopefully we'll get that out um, in the coming months or so. And uh, yeah, bloody hell, man. Give us a hug. This. Yeah, definitely. Oh, my legs. All right, Paul. All right. Oh, brilliant, Derek. Yeah. Thanks very yeah. much for having me on. Brilliant, mate. Glad to be here. Wow. This podcast is sponsored by Gadfly Press. We're proud to announce the publication of Scotland's Johnny Boy, The Bird That Never Flew. From the back cover, all his life, Johnny Boy Steele has been running, first from an abusive father, then from the rigours of an approved school and a young offender's jail, and finally 
From the harshness of adult prison, this book details how the Steel Brothers staged the most daring breakout that Glasgow's Barlini prison had ever seen, and recounts what happened when their younger brother Joseph was falsely accused of the greatest mass murder in Scottish legal history. We're talking the ice cream wars there. If Johnny Boy had wings, he would have flown to help his family, but he would have to wait for freedom to use his expertise to publicise young Joe's miscarriage of justice. This is a compelling, often shocking, and uncompromisingly honest account of how the human spirit can survive against almost crushing odds. It is a story of family love, friendship, and, ultimately, a desire for justice. So, Scotland's Johnny Boy, The Bird That Never Flew, is available worldwide on Amazon. Link in the description box below this video. Thank you for supporting our sponsor. Cheers.